Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the marvelous adventures of comics mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And don't forget you can find the show over on YouTube at X's for Podcast where we post the daily X. More of the same content you love, but with video and daily. Today, we're here to talk about three of the final issues of the Hellfire Gala, which has been raging through the month of June, burning away what doesn't work and starting the X line in a way almost as dramatically new as the beginning of Hoxpox. Today, we're going to be taking a look at Wolverine 13, Sword number 6, and Way of X number 3. So without further ado, let's take a look at Wolverine by Ben Percy, the continuation in many ways of the X-Force issue. This segment sees us discuss the complexity of navigating a solo series where the character is already so incredibly focused in group titles. We hope you guys enjoy as much as we enjoyed making it, and don't forget you can give us a follow over on Twitter and Patreon if you like what you hear. Hey guys, Nico here again. Now this next segment, Sword Number 6. Sword was a red issue, right? So the red issues on the read order are always the most important. Marauders, X-Men, Planet Size, Sword. These are the ones that draw your attention, and this issue of Sword was no different. This title has been so revolutionary, and Rod, Raven, Dante, and Broadway really brought the perspective that made this issue make even more sense. We hope you guys enjoy this as much as we enjoyed making it. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hello, I'm Steve and you can find me at Howdy Duda on Twitter. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And I often appear over with X of Words on the X of Words podcast on Twitter as well. I'm Drew. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Drewsifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. And I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter and at asleepatthewheel.com. And for the next two years as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at joshwheel.org. When we have somebody come in, we try to get to know them a little bit better, understand their ex-fandom, and interact with them as sort of the Xer that they are. Now, it is without a doubt that I am the biggest Wolverine fan on the podcast because I am a Wolverine fan, and that puts me leagues ahead of most of the rest of our contributors. So, you know, that's kind of my three snicked cross to bear. Now, without question, Josh, Drew, and Maddie, I have no idea how the three of you wind up on Wolverine titles so much when I make the schedule. But I, I gotta know, Steve, what are your feelings on Wolverine? Do you have a specific version of Logan you prefer? Do you have a specific version of Wolverine you prefer? And what is your least favorite thing about Wolverine canon? Hmm, okay. Well, I am a Wolverine fan in general. I do like Wolverine. I've not been particularly hot on this particular run of Wolverine. Uh, I've been kind of vocal about that. My favorite version of Logan is easily the Claremont era Wolverine, both the Wolverine Frank Miller miniseries and the just his character throughout the Romita and Silvestri eras, especially. I thought he was just a very deeply sensitive man wrapped up in this gruff exterior, slowly unlearning his toxic behavior as time went on. Okay, well, I need you to stop talking so sexy to me right now because <laughs> this is getting 
This is getting erotic. I'll move on then to my favorite version of Wolverine, which is absolutely the Tom Taylor um, Laura series. I love it. Love it so much. I'm hopping up and down and clapping. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one that I always recommend when people ask me what's a Wolverine series I read. I, I, I should read. I always say just read the Laura series because it's the best one there is. It's absolutely fantastic for Wolverine solo titles. Absolutely. And it encapsulates so much that I love about Logan in it, even though it's in a different character. Like, so I really get that. It's, it is one of my all-time favorites. And the omnibus is beautiful. If I have one complaint, I feel like like the, the final arc maybe doesn't smack as hard as I want it to. The but... old, old woman Laura arc, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really into the constant rehashes of old man Logan. I'm not really interested in like old man Iron Man or old man Star-Lord or none of that. Um, but I I don't really particularly enjoy the original series. The, the original old man Logan? Me neither. Yeah. I am not a Malar guy. I not just never have either. Yeah. It's not in my DNA. Yeah, I do really enjoy Ben Percy on Logan so much. I love the way he writes Logan, but I just, this this Wolverine title for me is is not necessarily it. So then what's your least favorite bit of Wolverine canon? Is it the old man Logan of it all? Or are, are you just like, I can't Albert and LCD. But no, I mean, it's, you have to Albert and LCD. It's literally a requirement. No, it's Romulus. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, then great. Great. It's Romulus. Great. <laughs> it's, well, oh, hate, it. hate it. Yeah. I, I, I. <laughs> He's a dog mutant. I don't know. Well, and it's like dogs and cats have been fighting since I, yeah. I loud at that. That is so funny. But like, I mean, it's not supposed is to title to their opinion on Romulus, but all other opinions on Romulus are wrong. I they would be Romulus is what they would be. <laughs> they would be Romulus. If I have to pick a favorite era of Logan, it is the era that hangs on my wall. It is the era that I think of whenever I think of what a good man he's become. I love Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. It is my happy place. Him reforming Quentin Quire is like, it's just everything I ever wanted, right? So Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron with those beautiful Nick Bradshaw covers. That's where I'm at. How about you guys? What do you guys feel is either the best version of Wolverine, the best iteration of Logan, or the thing that is the most Romulus about Wolverine's past. So I like that Wolverine is, um, you know, to me, he's like Marvel's Batman. Uh, and I don't just mean like way oversold and put in way too much shit to force us to buy it. And definitely like, eats pussy. And definitely eats pussy. Um, that there's so many different versions that, you know, can feel very dissimilar, but, you know, the shared universe has a good way of kind of blending them. You know, with Batman, you have the detective, you have the surrogate family, you have the Justice Leaguer, you know, you ha you know, the man among gods, you have, you know, like enough in a way where you can have this story, you know, you can have these gritty street level real types of stories. And then you can have him like lying through space in a bat X wing to, you know, fight apocalypse on or fight dark side on apocalypse and it all just kind of works and i feel like wolverine is that for marvel because you know we get the same thing like we get wolverine fits on the avengers and wolverine fits in japan and in old westerns and you know and in samurai stuff and in um orgy houses on the moon and um <laughs> You know, and as a as a teacher, you know, leaving. Did the you get school. a little breathless there? Did you actually take your own breath away saying Logan and orgy houses on the moon? Did you give yourself like the vapors? No, I just had to like swallow a little cough that wanted to come out. 
I think for, for my money, my, my favorite round of Wolverine, and it probably goes back to just default setting, but you know, the first Wolverine solo issues I had were some of the Larry Hama ones in the seventies and eighties when Jubilee was running with him. Oh, um, love it. Yeah. Those post uncanny 250, um, pre uncanny 300, like that era in there. And, and he's done that a number of times, but I love him as gruff, unwilling mentor, you know, or reluctant mentor to, you know, young ingenue. Um, I think it's something that's played so well, um, time and time again, um, with, with different characters and never in a way that feels like icky like never in a way that feels sexy or gross how about you drew where does your logan lie or does your logan lie in laura or do you have a <laughs> least favorite loganism that you loathe <laughs> um so to to me like ben percy really showed me like who wolverine is through the, his podcast um, just because I didn't really care about the character before. He was just like, oh, whatever. But re- I recently read Claremont's Wolverine, like the Midnight and Madripoor um, epic collection, where he's Patch and all of that. And I actually really like that Wolverine. Kind of, I find that interesting of him going like, quote unquote, undercover too. Well, then I can't recommend the Jed McKay Black Cat two-parter that features logan as patch any more than than the most because it really does have a lot of that magic but with a lot of humor and i do hear where you're coming from because i love me a madripoor patch logan and i don't think there's any better way to transition to this issue than bringing up the times that logan looks so damn dapper in a tux of course we're here to talk about wolverine number 13 which is wolverine legacy number 355 for those Damn playing straight. along at home now the issue is written by ben percy as has this entire run of wolverine as well as x-force with art by scott eaton Oren jr matthew wilson vc's Corey pettit design work by tom muller a number of variant covers including simone bianchi Phil Yamines, Marte Gracia, Russell Dowderman, and more. But the main cover was done by series mainstays Adam Kubert and Frank Martin. Now, this issue was kind of like the unlikable man party in a lot of ways, and I'm really okay with calling it that, because whether it was Logan, Beast, or Deadpool, this was a large list of people that are kind of divisive characters, And I feel like Percy, as a writer, lives a divisive characters. As much as I enjoyed the trappings of the issue, I perhaps felt like the issue didn't stand on its own as a whole outside of the Deadpool exchange. Before we get into specifics, did you guys feel that this kept up the energy of the Hellfire Gala? Or were you maybe looking for something a little bit more gala-y? I mean, it it had some nice little pages. For the most part, though, I didn't really expect a Ben Percy issue too well too much on the party. So, you know, it kind of gave us a couple nice bar moments or, you know, cameos at the beginning and end. For me, you know, as I finished reading it, I felt very much like I, I feel like I can see... Percy's outlines for some of these things you know like I can see his like long story and what he's doing after I read an issue and it's not always good because what I mean by that is <laughs> like I finished this issue and I could easily see like Percy at like a word document or a spreadsheet like laying out his story issue by issue and he's like all right 
Number 13 is where, you know, that's the one where, you know, Beast, you know, we definitely show like Beast is completely dark and he's going to be problematic. Like that's and like not enough to fill a whole issue. Like he's stretching out his like plot beats a little too decompressed. Um, And then, you know, we get filler and we get, you know, what we've had sometimes like three issue arcs that feel like they should be one or two, two issue arcs that definitely should have been one. And like many of our Hellfire Gala issues and what we've seen, if it wasn't a red issue, it is very much just the continuation of the ongoing story from that title just taking place at the gala that night. That's a really great way to look at it, kind of um, in the the vein of Children of the Atom, which so they said that Children of the Atom. So, Drew, I have to I'm going to I'm taking a big magical time tennis ball and I'm like quantum serving it with my mega racket right at you, Drew, because you that was the dumbest thing I've said. So, Drew, you had made a comment that a couple of weeks ago you were like and it was one of those times where you kind of had like Drew sass, which I love when you get kind of Drew sassy because it's just it's the spice on my poutine. Right. And you said, you know, they said Children of the Atom wasn't going to be part of the crossover. And now they're kind of saying as part of the Hellfire Gala, which is it, guys? And we kind of got an answer in that that Children of the Atom issue had fuck all to do with the gala, right? It just kind of vaguely happened around the same time. Can can we also mention that, because I wasn't on that issue when we talked about it, can we also mention that um, Children of the Atom 4 also had fuck all to do with Children of the Atom 1? Because I felt like it very explicitly contradicted that whole issue and made me feel like, what the fuck am I reading? Um, I I think Coda 4 was more coherent by itself. It did not have anything to do with the Hellfire Gala. But I, I am just amazed that that series continues to not remember what it's done in previous issues when there are so few previous issues to keep track of i'm gonna have to chalk it up to the editing you know what i mean like oh i i don't this is not a i don't think vita's forgotten who these characters are this this feels like this feels like a too many chefs re-edited cut so many times book it it absolutely does if i may interject i was on that episode and i do think that it was just that it became about the gala because of the timing the delayed you know publishing schedule on that one so with that amazing point in mind thanks for being on that episode buddy drew how do you feel about an issue that was actually set up to be a gala issue that you know it's it's gala ish it's attending the gala the way if you're also at the same hotel and walk past that ballroom on your way to the bathroom you were at that gala yes yeah that's that is kind of how this issue plays out and it is it's like i i'm actually enjoying x-force wolverine is man like i don't hate it but it's not my favorite either yeah and to, to me a lot of this was like i don't know like the beginning i'm just like like with those people going into the bathroom i'm like who are these people like i don't know who they are the guy and i, I don't know i don't was, think they're even anybody at this point yeah, but it, it was felt just... like it was supposed to tie into what we saw in the earlier Hellfire Gala issue. The first time when Emma tore Beast a new blue fairy asshole for having, you know, broken Geneva Conventions on the, the plant people from South America. Like this, it was supposed to tie back to that, but they didn't feel as visually recognizable. Like maybe I just missed the visual cues. It felt like them, but different them. Like... 
aren't wasn't the main guy from that country supposed to look like Joey's dad from Friends? Like, didn't he look like like a short, fat, like balding, like Italian dad who like yells at you for like cutting the uh, the garlic wrong when you're making your gravy? So you're implying that you think that that character should look like someone Leah Remini would be married to on a sitcom? Yes. Okay, I'm with you. I'm completely with you. We have very specific frames of reference for each other, dude. <laughs> and so and in, instead, they all looked like like Hungarian um, orchestra composers. Oh, I completely get that. Now, Steve, I have a question for you. This is my first time covering X Force or Wolverine with you, which means you're kind of a, an amazing new vantage point on these titles for you know not just for me but for the show. How do you feel about where the Wolverine X-Force narrative is currently sitting? I'll be honest, I'm a big Percy fan. I am maybe not the biggest Wolverine by Percy fan. I'm a big fan of the Percy podcasts. And X-Force isn't bad, but this book feels the least necessary to me and a number of our contributors. Is it that way from the outside as well? Yeah, I've, I have called for the cancellation of this run of Wolverine when I've been involved with X-Words in the past. And I stand by it. I don't think it should exist, this, this run of Wolverine. It's nothing against Percy. It's nothing against any of the artists who've been working on it, or well, not most of them. Scott Eaton does a fantastic job in this issue, as does Orrin Jr. I think they both make Beast look really good for once. Uh, in this issue, like in the way that Josh Kassara can make him over an X-Force. I am a fan of this X-Force run. It's actually one of the more engaging X-Force runs that I've read. And I think a large part of that is I enjoy watching Beast slip further and further into his horrific megalomania, and I'm just waiting for consequences for him. So this issue felt real good for me, specifically to see Sage slapping the shit out of Beast and to see people calling on his bullshit. It's not enough. Um, he, But it he, was good. Yeah, it was good, but he needs obviously more to come. I, I like that you pointed out Oren Jr.'s contribution as well, because one of the things that I think has we don't talk about enough is how few inkers, like how few straight up inking jobs there are in the X books right now, because the majority of our artists are inking, inking if themselves. not also, yeah, and a number coloring themselves as well um, when Marte is not running it. It's making mm-hmm. my credits job really strange. Like it's yes. making my credits job really fucking weird. When I put this stuff together, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Nick Dragata did everything. Noto did everything. Rod Reyes did everything. Yeah, there's a number of them who are working. And, and even when they're not coloring themselves, they tend to be doing their own inks. Um, on the few times that I can remember having seen specific inkers, it almost felt it felt like they were bringing someone in for a time crunch or covering up a rush job. It wasn't some of the best art, but this was solid, classic, just pencil ink colored team yeah. work. Um, Eaton and Junior work really well together, generally speaking. And just to give everybody a little context on who Scott Eaton is, just in case you have perhaps never noticed his name on a cover or on a credits page before... He's probably best known in the X-Universe for his extensive work on X-Men Legacy. He is responsible for the X-Men Original Sin miniseries and arc uh, in X-Men Legacy along the pages of Dark Wolverine. He's also known for two issues of New X-Men, a handful of New Excalibur, as well as playing a large part in the Silver Surfer in the 90s, which, you know, not X-Men, but it's, it's sort of interesting that this guy's had such a long and varied career 
though, to say that he's been in some high-profile stuff. Just take a look at his Doom War miniseries, which is just about as high-profile as it got for a while. So, But most know, importantly, he did my two favorite issues of Mike Carey X-Men Legacy 215 and 216, which I, I get to bring I up I hate again. to say, he actually didn't do 216. He didn't do 216? He did what? 215 and picked back up at 217, but he actually missed a handful of X-Men Legacy. He's certainly welcome on this book. I would love to see more of him. I would love to see more of this team in general, including Matt Wilson on uh, on Wolverine, if it's going to continue. But it's just, at this point, it's an auxiliary X-Force book. Well, yeah, and... Rod Brionis did 216. Right! And, you know, Steve, I really, I love that you called it the auxiliary X-Force book, because that's how I feel about it as well. Now, I know people probably get tired of me saying it, but we need to stop having such a linear idea of 22 pages makes a comic. 22 pages does not make a comic. 22 pages makes the standard corporate comic. Yes. And I would much sooner and much rather pay $4.99 once a month for a 32-page Wolverine and X-Force hybrid book. That puts a lot more emphasis on Wolverine. Yeah, and that would just be rather that Wolverine and X Force, or I'm I'm even fine with Wolverine taking a backseat because for me X Force has been in large part a beast book, uh, not heroically leading it, but it has been much about his his decline. X Force is an interesting book because even though it's the team book, it's never the team book. Exactly, it's been the Domino book, or it's been the Beast book, or, or it's the been Colossus the Kid Omega book. book, or it's been the Colossus book. It's never actually been a team book, um, which is interesting to me. These are just the same. Like they could very yeah. There's been a couple of team things. You know, uh, I loved when when Forge was in it early on, um, but for the most part, and and Wolverine and X Force could just be one oversized monthly because to me they're the same thing only uh one of them has you know my favorite artist working today um half the time in josh kasara so i mean this becomes auxiliary x-force because it never has kasara time uh yeah and it's so so true and it's also that like you you could you could read x-force and not read wolverine but i don't really think you can read wolverine and not read x-force at some points just because it does get too awkward and yeah. like you, like there's like some blanks so like it, it that also makes it kind of like a weird thing where you kind of need to read this one comic in order to understand the wolverine but you can't you know it, it, it just makes for like weird reading order and um bringing uh new readers into continuity and stuff like that and like if you're not a fan of x-force then it, but you are a fan of wolverine then it like you know it's kind of like you're forced to read this other book kind of and it's like, that's a great point if you had only read wolverine 1 through 13 and not read any issues of x-force you would have fuck all idea of what was going on in this issue this issue was just a part two of x-force at the gala yeah i had to reread it <laughs> i just did a huge reread of hox pox right i i'm i'm almost done I'm almost caught up. I am well past X of Swords. I've read a number of the titles. And one of the things that I kept having to do is be like, okay, where should I cross back over? Um, I want to make sure that I read Rachel Getting Amazing Baby before I start X Factor. So, you know, (laughs) I, I was making sure to do things like that. And I just hit a fucking point where I was like, what's just the interpolated order on X Force and Wolverine? What is just the interpolated fucking order? Because. Omega Red bounces from book to book. There's this sense of bad, bad Russia from book to book. Uh, it's it's a lot mm-hmm. of gymnastics that you kind of have to do with these two titles. And, you know, for that reason, I myself am in this same camp that it really is that they are giving Percy 
one big double title. And historically, having a big double title with two different names doesn't really work. It maybe should just be Wolverine and X-Force twice a month. For a straight cis white man to have the double title as well, you know, in this it's series. It's a complicated is like, situation. It's just, another, it's so much. Another thing too that we all we talk about a lot is how it's going to read in trade form. Because if you just pick up the Dawn or the Rain series, then you'll be fine and you, you'll, you'll get the whole story if you're reading all of it. Yeah. But if you just pick up the X-Force or if you just pick up the Wolverine, the, you're going to get holes in your story. Well, and I definitely, yeah, a thousand percent. That's kind of just why it should be either one giant issue a month or just a bi-weekly. Now, to talk about a few things that happened in this issue, LOL, uh, I want to bring up three major things. Number one, I don't think this Wade reads like recent Wade. Number two, Not at all. I loved seeing Domino and Sage be wonderful badass ladies. And number three, kill your gaze. Happy Pride. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, so let's 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 work backwards here on and start with Kill Your Gaze because it's important and it's actually the page I already had open to. Um, Kill Your Gaze, bad during Pride Month, worse. Also, I don't want to blame the sexy lumberjack for this. And you know, I haven't mentioned it yet in this episode, so if Steven's not familiar, my yeah, favorite yeah. work, <laughs> my favorite work by uh, Ben Percy are his sexy lumberjack thirst trap videos he posts on Twitter. I very much agree; they are his best Wolverine work. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this was our big Hellfire Gala piece. Like, this is what tied it in. To me, this felt like his share of the crossover story. And, you know, that he was just responsible for writing the Marauder getting hijacked and Christian killed. Like, that that wasn't part of his plotting or storying. Now, I, I could be wrong. Like, we don't know who was responsible for what. But this felt very much like part of the Gala storyline because it was following up on those Shia crystals that emma had sent christian to secretly take out and all of that um yeah well my yeah. question my main question is we have a dolphin on the page right and we know that manslaughter is off attacking at the gala so are we to believe that that's dr echo from the pages of weapon plus oh my god I would like to point out to uh, Josh's last point that ultimately the responsibility for this lies with the editor as well. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I will, the only thing I will ding is it does seem like this is just another story of a gay man being snuck up on. Like, or is Christian going to be the one that, that, like, the huge death of? And that's who they're investigating in X Factor and who the trial of Magneto is. It would be completely wild for that to happen in Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. It's just yeah. the happening of it is is in Wolverine the because X Factor is the next part of the gala. It's going to be investigating that. Um, yeah, I, I could easily see X Factor investigating Christian's death. That's true. But I think there would be a really missed opportunity to understand the emotional impact of the story by so far removing it from the writer, Jerry Dugan, who's been responsible for the sort of crescendo of Christian and the Hoxpox era, as well as by putting it in X Factor, a book that is so foreign to Emma. While Leah Williams writes a tremendous Emma, Emma, as a central driving focus of the final issue of X Factor, the way she would need to be for an investigation of her brother's murder would be really anthema to the ideas of what x-factor has represented as a series and all of the characters that have to be packed into this final issue to make it pop so if this is the big death i feel like we're kind of treading back into x of swords this is some weird timed plotting problems i mean i don't think this is necessarily the big death if only because it seems like it's a 
it seems like it's a Hellfire Club deal, you know, not not so much anything to do with maybe Magneto. Yeah, I, I have trouble believing that the death to go on trial for would be like a for mutant. me. Yes, the trial yeah, of Magneto. There's only three laws. Like it, yeah. his trial has to be either killing a human, not making more mutants, or violating the sacred land. Which I think we pretty clearly got this week at the end of another issue that like his crime is going to be violating the sacred land. Yeah, yeah. Like we all assumed murder because like we're comic conditioned. We're comic conditioned for big trials to be about murder. But um, I like I I think he's going to be on trial for violating the sacred land. He brought a pretender on. We know all about kill your gays, happy pride. So my next question is, how do you guys feel about Sage and Domino finally getting? Not finally, because I both gotten a number of times in the spotlight. But I feel like this was a really great balance of Wolverine getting his, you know, overwhelming due and other characters still managing to exist. Yeah, it was really good to see Sage in this issue. I've become more and more of a fan of her in this era and seeing her get to put Beast back into his place for even a second was immensely satisfying. Her emphasis on rectifying what was a massive and horrific, what she calls a mistake, but was intentional on Beast's part, as opposed to covering up and hiding away the problem Beast, the way Beast intends to, is welcome and wonderful to see. And I love the idea of Krakoa giving reparations to the Terra Verdeans for their crimes against them, their gigantic crimes against them, um, even if maybe it doesn't necessarily go very far beyond just basically resolving the issue. Yeah, to me, it just seems like like they they met their demands, but the Televerdans are still not happy about like I wouldn't need that happened, and it's like. Yeah, we're not going to say anything, but like, you're still, you guys are still a piece of shit and fuck you. You're still trash bags. <laughs> well, I, I had a little bit of, I don't know, the way it was done at the end. Because as I said earlier, like this issue felt, you know, pace wise in terms of what Percy's building, you know, like he had one major idea he wanted to cover and then the rest of it was filler. So for all of those other pages and what was going on, it really felt odd that the whole reconciliation and that we just got it in text, like we just got like a text summary of like the reparations plan and we're done, like, and we're done with, you know, hand washing, wave it off, like, and we're done with this, you know. It was a very quick um, tie Yes. Yeah, absolutely, um, in a single page of text. I, I do like, I think, oddly enough, because it's a Wolverine issue, that I think this might be one of the most balanced X-Force issues we got in terms of character time. That's what I was you just know, saying, yeah. I'm not doing, like I'm not doing, yes, I, I didn't do a meta analysis on it with, like, you know, panel rate per character and balancing well, them out. You, but then. You know, but it felt very balanced. To me, though... I'm in such domino withdrawals because we've been getting so little of her and I love Nina um, that like her getting balanced didn't feel like enough. It felt like a little bit of a tease because it was like, yes, I'm getting some domino, but uh, no, you can't just give me like normal amounts based out on a team book when I've, you know, when like, where the fuck has she been for the last six months? So I actually want to ask you a question then, Josh, if you know, you're as big a domino fan as I am and Hopefully, Steve and Drew, you guys at least love you some Domino. But I personally have been thinking she would be better served on the sword station. You know, I think if we're talking about being out in space, they kind of do need a lot of luck. I'm not trying to be silly, 
But no, I would love to see her a long shot up there. Um, yeah, it would really benefit the team to have that kind of supernatural support. So I really want to see her on a female focused book. I want to see her written by a woman with lots of other women around her. Um, you know, Gail Simone's book wasn't perfect, but it brought out something in the character that was obviously lacking being written by males who utilized her primarily to be like a fuck object for like how Any number like, of strong and virile other men were for so long that I, I do love, like I would love to see her and I, I know that we've just shuffled other characters around, but like I would love to see her on a book with, you know, like Betsy and Rogue, not necessarily like with Excalibur magic, but just I would like to see her with other female characters not having to be, you know, someone's sexy lamb. So, Nico, do you remember? I think we talked about this back in December. Do you remember the last thing that I was working on for my website before I started the campaign and stopped doing any comics writing? Weren't you doing um, cover gallery and issue summaries for 90s comics? Yes. And then I started to deep dive. I was doing a deep dive on um, X-Force 4, I want to say it is, either 4 or 6, but the bathtub issue. Yep, I was doing a deep dive on the bathtub issue. Trying to uh, figure out and get exact dimensions for how big Cable drew Rob Liefeld, what the size of that fucking bathtub would uh, how Cable was not drawing Rob Liefeld. Rob no, Liefeld I think at some teeth. point it did become that Cable was drawing Rob Liefeld. I do think that happened. With how big Rob Liefeld was drawing Cable, giving him all sorts of additional muscles that uh, humans don't have on top of like the regular muscles to figure out what the actual dimensions of that bathtub would be. Um, but I, I say that to say this, which is that for a very long time, dominoes, like greatest hits, if you're like, oh, what are the best domino issues or dominoes? So, like, what are the most memorable domino moments? Well, it's domino in a bathtub with Cable. It's domino and Wolverine fucking so loudly that Scott and Emma can hear them through the walls of the hotel room it's domino you know being sad because she's throwing herself at colossus trying to fuck him and he's too much of a sad boy to notice it's like everything was just about domino as sex object for a big male character yeah when it comes to Domino in this series, I mean, she hasn't shown up much in Wolverine, but I can obviously talk about her in X-Force, which is, I've really enjoyed how Domino has been characterized and how she's been drawn in this particular era, the Krakoa era. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the seemingly dropped plot of Domino's horrific trauma at the hands of Zeno. Oh, for sure. Be being Thank erased... You presumably by Colossus. And yeah. I want justice for that. I am so mad at him and I'm never going to forgive him. I keep waiting for that, right? Like, yes. because then we just, Domino just got dropped. Like, Why then is we Colossus... just got no Domino stories for like a year after that. Why is Colossus getting stories where he is maybe being victimized by the Krakoan state? Like, oh, poor Colossus. He's just trying to live his life in the Savage Land. And all I can see when I look at him with that lady in the Savage Land is like, Colossus, you are just trying to run away and escape from this horrific thing that you did and that you won't acknowledge and it's it's driving me insane because i know sage is cognizant of this as well and sage is cognizant of everything it is it is it is from the early stages of x-force it was a crime on par with what beast was doing obviously beast has eclipsed colossus in the war crimes department but but what Colossus did and i am presuming it was colossus because she asked him very specifically to let her keep her trauma and he seemingly goes oh well no actually this will be better for her if i just snip this away 
You mean he said no da? Oh, okay. Yes. It's also a little bit like a you know disconnect there between the way Percy described that process, as if like Colossus gets to decide how much memory Domino keeps, versus what we've seen in other books with resurrection protocols about. And as I'm especially thinking of um, X Men, Hickman's X Men, recently, with the cerebro backup times and you know that buffer time in between your and we saw it in way of x as well in between your last backup and your death you know that that disposable time that you just don't keep anyway but she had already had the trauma for far too long for it to have been erased at that point she was going on another mission after resting after the first one yeah she had that traumatic memory so it does seem that colossus may have gone to xavier and said well she asked me to erase the trauma you know I was there at her death. And the resolution of that would have been far more interesting than, you know. Than her saying, I get over it, Wolverine, don't ask me about it, it's none of your business. I mean, maybe it will be. Or half of the plots that Percy has given us in Wolverine and X-Factor since then. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I'm. Not the Quentin stuff. The Quentin stuff was the bomb. I'm a really big fan of Jason Aaron's work in general, and I'm kind of a Jason Aaron's Avengers defender. But I feel as though one of the criticisms I can't escape of that book is it's kind of the everything book. Just literally everything happens in that book nonstop from the beginning of the issue. Like they just put everything in there. And sometimes it just it's too many plots. And that's how I'm really starting to feel about X-Force. I'm beginning to feel like, you know, I did just notice having reread it that after Ten of Swords, there's so little domino it's not funny. The book became about other things, and it's almost like Ben Percy said, I'm being given a chance to write Wolverine, and I'm being a chance, given a chance to write X-Force. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do the best hits of Wolverine. I'm going to do the greatest hits of X-Force. And I feel like if he wasn't constantly inundated by the realities of corporate comics, he might have a shot. But unfortunately... Yeah. The amount of forced crossover, like this appearance from Deadpool, which didn't work for me, Same. on the heels of Kelly Thompson's Deadpool, on the heels of Dugan's Deadpool, this felt like a time travel Deadpool I did not need. I don't know who said Deadpool needs to be edgy again, but no, Deadpool needs to have like pies in the face. Deadpool no, doesn't I need mean- to be edgy. After the good, the bad, and the ugly, I mean, you know, we got a definitive Deadpool story that also featured Wolverine that, I mean, you can't go back and undo that and just make him the, um, who was the fucker who just made it silly slapstick shit all the time? The guy who wrote Thunderbolts as well. You can't just go- Daniel Way? Daniel Way, thank you! Daniel Way, um, and what he brought over into the Thunderbolts issue, Daniel Way's was just slapstick nonsense Deadpool. Um, and yeah, like we, we've passed that. Dugan humanized him and grounded him in the world and gave him real human relationships. And, you know, after the good, the bad and the ugly, like you can't just go back to Daniel Way Deadpool, especially when you're throwing it into the Hellfire Gala in the Reign of X in the Krakoan era with all of this other stuff. Like it's... Yeah, it it just, like you said, it's time travel. Like, why is this version of Deadpool here? Drew, is this your Drew pool, or do you prefer a very different sort of Deadpool? Um, I don't like that I said Deadpool, so I'm going to say that again. Deadpool. Like Domino, I also, like, I have the same feelings with Domino as I do with Deadpool. Kind of, like, again, you know, all in the same... same zone i did all i did though think that his dialogue was a little um 
slapsticky like josh was staying it was a little I, I do find deadpool can be like more crude than the comic allowed for um and yeah it, it was also just like like i get what he was trying to do it was an x-force book so he was trying to like bring all the, the like you know like we said before but it yeah it was just the dialogue for me that was not really it well, yeah. we've sort of talked around this book, about this book, and up and down this book for about 45 minutes. So we've managed to sort of discuss the book holistically without ever acknowledging hey, the plot. We've given you a solid 15 minutes of content in that time. I, you know, I actually think that this is one of our best Wolverine discussions in a while because it stayed mostly on topic. And that's, you know, mostly on topic. So here's my question for you guys. I've been thinking a lot lately about one of the things that has made Wolverine feel so aimless. And, you know, Steve, I I blame thank you. It's a blame thank because you, you kind of made exactly why it's not working interesting for me. I am no Sabretooth fan. I'm not. I just don't like Sabretooth. I just think he's awful. But I think that there's this attempt to redefine Wolverine in a Sabretoothless world. And I don't know if it's the Romulus of it. I don't know if it's the idea that Wolverine and Sabretooth are eternally a claw-based dyad who are going to go at each other. And, you know, it really does stretch way back before Jeff Loeb ever put his fingers on Wolverine. But rather, I think what we're still seeing is the reverberations of why Origin was a mistake. (laughs) I'm not trying to be, like, super funny, but like I, I, I know I'm being really funny, but Origin was a mistake. A lot of Wolverine. We've had this. You and I have done this on a previous Wolverine issue that we did. But a lot of Wolverine solo stories are a mistake. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And, and, you know, going back to, you know, what I said I like about Wolverine earlier, that, you know, he is that Batman, that he can be so many different things. I'm glad Sabretooth's off the table because I think one of the problems with Sabretooth is that Wolverine can be so many different things, but Sabretooth shouldn't be. Yes, amazing. Yes, I love that you said it that way. Yes. Writers have constantly tried to be like, well, you know, we're going to do a samurai issue, so we'll have samurai Sabretooth. Or we're going to do a a mobster, a gritty mob story, so we'll have mobster Sabretooth. Or we're going to do, no, 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 no. Wolverine can blend and go from world to world, but Sabretooth doesn't follow him like that. Like that. sorry you all want to jack your dick wearing a blonde pelt, but that is not the same thing as making Sabretooth multifaceted. Yes. And so I'm, I'm glad that he's off the table but yeah in here and and we've mentioned this in a number of the other rooms you know percy has done an astounding amount of stories in his first 12 issues of wolverine in 12 issues of wolverine we got vampires and omega red vampire arcs we got um maverick uh the the big lebowski and the is she the pale girl or the green girl and the sick daughter and the sick daughter yes. of the guy. Mm-hmm. We got Solemn. We got we got Patch um, and, and Maverick. Uh, we got yeah. there's another one in between that and fuck. like and then like we've come back to vampires. And I remember when we were talking about that first one, back to vampires. It was like fuck. Like of all the stories we could have revisited, like vampires would have been on the bottom of my list. But also, good lord, how has he had five arcs in the first twelve issues? Like what? Well, that first issue was like 89, 5, 42, 13 pages. 
it was a double issue. It was the, the arcs have been mainly meandering in a lot of ways. I mean, I feel like yes. the, the the Maverick arc is the only one that is cohesive for me. It had but a, like he's had so many end. arcs, but also what the fuck has happened? And like I just he's had so many arcs, but what are we doing with Wolverine? Like it felt like this was going to be PTSD Wolverine, or this was going to be you know Wolverine trying well, to adjust to live in a world without violence. X Men again. And now it's and now it's just Wolverine, uh, you know, as the uh, X Factor um, supplemental issue or like, but what? But like, what? What is it? Because he's doing so much. He's moving through arcs so fast. But to what extent? And I would even say the same thing on his X Factor. Like, X-Force. okay, X Force. I'm sorry. Thank you. No, his X Force started out as the lore heavy comic in Dawn of X, which was great for those of us just thirsty for lore but at some point if it's going to be the black ops x-force comic like we should have specific definitive closed arcs of x-force about operations not meandering drama crossing like bleeding into wolverine just dragging on other stories or bouncing around to being solo spotlights of all these characters that again have nothing to do with the or tenuously tenuously connected to the ongoing drama um yeah like what yeah I'm we're sitting here saying what's the core narrative of the last yes. combined 40 issues if you take out x-force there's kind of a narrative but when you put wolverine in it suddenly becomes too big however wolverine doesn't read complete without X-Force, and X-Force doesn't even complete Wolverine. So what we're looking at is an ancillary book that somehow weakens the efficacy of its uh, mainline partner. Yeah, I've got 35 issues, right? I've got six to seven trades worth of Wolverine and X-Force. And a fuck ton of different plots and stories that have happened. But like, what... What? Like, what happened and resolved in 35 issues? Like, what has... Like, aside from, I mean, I, I'm maybe just latching on to, like, the, the Kid Omega arc. No, it was but, that good. Yes, it was. It was but, like, what good. else has been, like, a well-paced or organized, like, set-up, run, concluded arc that has consequences and growth to lead into the next thing? Like, what just else has... Them. Maybe, and I'll go back and say that Solemn was two issues that should have been one, maybe one oversized, but Solemn, as much as we just love Solemn, and I think now we're just missing him because why the fuck haven't we got the best new character from these last 13 issues to appear again? Right. When the last time we saw him, he flew off on a fucking zombie dragon in Otherworld. Like, where is Solemn and the zombie dragon? But yeah, like even at the time, like reading those two issues, that was not 45 pages worth of comic. Solomon Zombie, born on a Mondi. Got it. <laughs> Good one. Close out. Hey guys, Nico here again. Now this next segment, Sword Number Six. Sword was a red issue, right? So the red issues on the read order are always the most important. Marauders, X Men, Planet Size, Sword. These are the ones that draw your attention, and this issue of Sword was no different. This title has been so revolutionary, and Rod, Raven, Dante, and Broadway really brought the perspective that made this issue make even more sense. We hope you guys enjoy this as much as we enjoyed making it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcasts. I am Rod. You can find me at Rod, comma, the on twitter and instagram and today we have with us the radiant raven hello it's raven aka dame red bento yeah you can find me on twitter instagram twitch 
kind of all over the place. I'm getting warmed up as it were. Today we also have the amazing bodacious Broadway. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Broadway. You can find me on Twitter at BWAY3RD. That's B W A Y B R D. I didn't have anything for Dante prepared. Uh, <laughs> and we have, we have the daunting dashing. Daunting Dante. Yeah, uh-huh. dashing, dashing. I like that. I am I'm daunting. I'm dashing. I'm everything that you desire. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Dante. <laughs> Sweating in Seattle because it's hot here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can me on Twitter and Instagram under Inferno Magic. That is magic with a K. Nice. Sweating in Seattle should be like a TV show, honestly. I don't know what it would be about. I mean, I guess living in Seattle, but I I don't know. (laughs) It it would be about the two weeks out of the year where it reaches over 85 degrees. (laughs) That's that's it. The the whole series is about those two weeks. Right. Like an HBO limited series. 14 episodes, each taking a day, none of them in the same month. Like... You're being super generous about the two weeks. But, but appreciated. Right. <laughs> well, you know. Besides the sweating in Seattle, we have we're talking about another S word today. Sword issue number six. <laughs> Written by Al Ewing. Artist is Valerio Shidi, which is this is his last time on Sword. Because <laughs> he's moving to um I think the main X book. How dare you? Um, I think he's going to Trial of Magneto. Our Trial of Magneto. One of the newer books. Fine. Fine. Uh, I know. We'll miss him, but we're going to get a good artist next. And then the color artist is Marty Garcia. Fabulous Marty. Love him. And then we have VCs Ariana Mayer, who is the letter and also a friend of the pod. So, yes, this was the next installment of the Hellfire Gala, and this was a red issue. This was a super duper amazing important issue oh. uh, this, yeah this this fed the x fans this week i <laughs> when i say i screamed i meant it right oh my i first we we will get to the point that made us scream definitely but first let's talk about the um the flat skins i mean i mean the humans <laughs> the humans that we first saw debating you know mutants existence because that should be a thing right um captain oh. america and doom you know discussing the basically the mutants making a planet if it's a good thing or not right and i i love that cap was cap yeah cap is always like the progressive forward thinking i love how well he is translated onto these pages oh my god it was so good but who is that other little freaking oh what is the weasel face oh my god i wanted to punch him in the throat so bad he was walking with um uh, guardian yeah from canada um, um peter gyrick Henry Peter Gyrick. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gyrick is just so slimy. Oh, I can't stand him. Ugh. Yeah, he's the he's the director of the last Space Force of Earth. Um, and yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He is very, you know. American white man. I hate anything other than American white man. <laughs> he hates aliens, hates mutants, just wants everything to go away that isn't, you know. Them. So this definitely fit his character. Now you knew what he was oh, yeah. doing 
with this. But I do like I feel like a lot of people are like, this is what they want Captain America to be. They really love how I mean Al Ewing is a great writer, but like I don't think I've ever really I mean he's written Captain America, but I haven't seen him write Captain America in a minute. And this was this is really good seeing how he kind of just like shut Doom down, but also was like, I wish we could do it together. But but he st- he understands why it's happening without them. Mm-hmm. Like he's like you know I wish we could have done it together, and he still has hope to do it together. But he understands why it's happening, and he is not like upset about it. You know, and th- I'm like that's that's the big difference between people like Cap. We were like, dude, we made this entire place just toxic as hell for them to even exist. Why do you think they went to Mars? It was far enough away that trying to be racist to them or trying to be genocidal to them, much harder to do. So I wish we hadn't had forced them out and, and made it so that they had to do this. But at the same point in time, they're doing super important work. And, and it, you know, I understand it. Like, I fucking understand it. I'm like, shit, thank you. You know, um, Raven, it's so interesting because I kind of, I read it slightly different. Um, I didn't read quite as much understanding in that because I I still felt like, I mean, I think there was a a knowledge as to why it happened, but the, I felt when it got to that punchline of the comment, Mm -hmm. I wish we would have done that together. I still feel like that was a little bit of like lamenting Mm -hmm. that we weren't unified as, as a people, you know, mutants and humans. And I felt like uh, Mm -hmm. really what that was showcasing is that like, even the people who are supposed to be allies to the mutants kind of failed. Like they really didn't, you know, pull their weight in being allies. We should have, we, I say we, like I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, it should have been a unified effort, but <laughs> yeah, mutants got essentially got pushed out, yeah. right? Like, so um, I, yeah, I just, I, I didn't read it as, as a kind of like a, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I thought, I thought it just like pointed, it, it more showcased that there was still a failing on the, the, the superheroes who should have been doing better on on behalf of the mutants as well oh yeah i mean i i definitely feel like cap feels regret with what because he has done wrong by the mutants i mean look at look at avengers versus x-men look how he kind of basically ignored avengers versus inhumans look what happened in the uncanny x-men run that happened before hickman's run that he basically was like well the laws are against the mutants but you know y'all should have acted better so that and staten island as well like it's just so much that he is you know the face of america just like doom said and you could have done more but he didn't and he's i feel like he is the representation of the left side of a white straight men that are trying to do better but constantly need to educate themselves to do better because they don't get it because how could they they're not in it so yeah i feel like um i definitely see that cap is lamenting um and i think i mean to be honest like a part of it reads kind of like fomo um where it's like he recognizes that you know he recognizes that like mutants are not beholden to the approval and whatever of the avengers right they don't need to like beseech them or the un or anybody else to like ask for permission and so i think that is what he's like trying to navigate is like i think that's a lot of like what hickman's era is about is like seeing this group of people being like we actually don't need your permission to do good or do right by ourselves and we're not hurting anybody and so it might be jarring to see us be like oh yeah we're gonna put our cousins on mars but at the end of the day 
in the conversation in I think Planet Size X Men is like that conversation between Captain America and Cyclops is all about the fact that like what is currently going on with the Iraqi mutants is unsustainable. They're just like out like conquering cities and whatnot, and they know that that's them, right? And so this is like despite Cap feeling weird about things it's also the mutants fixing the exact problem you presented them with you yeah. said oh like there's like a bunch a new island and like Krakoa's growing and there's just more of you guys like what is going on this feels like a takeover and then they put them on mars and he's like well i wish you had consulted me first and it's like well you can't really have it both on ways. what on why should right. we fucking consult that, yeah. you it's mars it belongs to nobody on earth hmm ain't that a thought like (laughs) no i know exactly what you're talking about and the moment i read that i'm like consult you for what motherfucker i was so angry and it's it's so interesting to see the parallel between the conversation with doom and cap where like doom obviously like his interest is singularly his own right Cap is trying to represent something like broader and try to represent the hero community. And then you see Gyrick and uh, Vindicator who are like, I mean, immediately like Vindicator's response is like, it's just too much, right? They're doing too much, which I always feel like is often how uh, sort of like up groups talk about like marginalized people when they like are out of like out of their space, right? We kind of talked about that in this era. And like, there's like a certain fandom that is like, no, the mutants are doing too much. And I feel like Vindicator is kind of um, the voice for that. And then he has, of course, this like sleaze Gyric in his ear, right? Because that's like how people become like susceptible to like, I guess, like being radicalized, to put it frankly. I find it funny because like, gee, who tends to get told that we're too extra, we're too much, right. we're, you know, we're taking it too far, going over the top, you know, people, people can't keep up with you. It's not fair anymore. And it's like, you want me to hold myself back because why? So yeah, I, I think to me, Vindicators, they're doing too much. Sounded so much more like they're doing so much better than we are. Yes. You know, how, how dare they? I'm supposed to be the pinnacle. I'm supposed to represent the top. And now we're getting outpaced by these people that at least with their internal implicit bias, they deem as less. Yeah. You know, so it's like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, even, even Doom was even saying that because Doom always, he's always kind of um, looked down on the mutants. (laughs) Because I mean, Doom looks down on everybody. Because it's Doom. It's Victor Von Doom. He is the emperor of everything in his mind. Um, (laughs) He keeps keeps using some concentration camps in the Exactly. Country, so, and yeah. he was making fun of Krakoa because he's like, oh, y'all's dysfunctional country. But now they mutants have created like terraformed a planet in one day. And now he's mm-hmm. like, oh, now he's got like y'all, like Dante said, he's got FOMO as well because he's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I'm going to do something like this too, but I won't make a gala out of it. And oh my God. That was, <laughs> that was, that was shade because he was like, well, I don't need to do all this to a oh spectacle because I'm already my. doomed. It's like, but oh. you haven't done shit, doom. So, like you're just salty. Yeah, and that's right. okay. That's okay. Just feel that. But 
but you don't need to throw shade at people. He was he was the drag queen equivalent of, oh, I was going to wear an even better outfit next week. Bitch, why didn't you wear it this week? Right, exactly, exactly. It also kind of reminds me of Namor. It's like that same energy. And like, I can't wait to see Namor's reaction because it's like you were talking cash shit. And like now you, uh, you have a little country, just like Latvia's a little country. And they really, I feel like both of them thought like, oh, you finally got on our level and you think you're important. And the mutants were like, actually, we're going to go beyond what you're doing. And now they're like, oh, well, (laughs) they're doing too much now. Like, yeah, just like, it's everyone else where you just watch them like stammering to be upset and to come up with some sort of read. And it's like, you're just jealous and that's fine. Yeah, they've they've got that whole read of oh well, mm, it's yes, it's that it's that seriously, <laughs> seriously. Okay, you you got a country that you don't expand and that you don't make a lot of friends with, be it Namor or Doom or who the fuck ever. I mean, Namor's got seventy percent of the Earth that he could be working with, and yet he got one little tiny city. Okay, good for you. We're just gonna go over here and just terraform an entire planet. So. You didn't want us us on Earth. You didn't want us anywhere near you. We're just going to be terraforming all this over here. Oh, and by the way, we're going to be hosting intergalactic guests. (laughs) I know, right? Speaking of that, they they did host the Intergalactic Council, which I was really amazed by. I love, I mean, you know, I love cosmic shit, so I'm all about it anyway. But now we get to see these different alien species. (laughs) (laughs) We get to see these different alien species and different representation. And they are kind of like, on one hand, they're like, who cares about this? Like, it's just one planet. And then other people are like, no, it's a big deal. But they're like, how? I love the juxtaposition of how, like, it's not really a big deal, but then it is compared to some. Because for some alien races, they take care, they take over like five or 10 different planets. And they're like, this is nothing. But for people that have been on Earth or grew up on Earth or humans are like, yeah, no, they terraformed a planet one day. This We don't do this. So... <laughs> it's funny that the ones that take over plants are like, eh, this is nothing. I'm like, you don't build anything. You just take right. over a plant. Exactly. It's that. It's you that. have no idea how much work terraforming an entire fucking planet truthfully is. Because it, even when you're when you're building in a closed ecosystem, say in a terrarium or a tank um, or an aquarium, like one little thing is off. Next thing you know, you got just bad shit. Everything goes wrong and it, it crashes itself to make a sustainable, livable planet in a day. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> they can eat a bag of dicks. And I find it funny to say, eh, it's not that big a deal. Yet they all showed up. Right. It wasn't did. that big a deal. They just would have not showed up. Yeah, exactly. And I, one of my favorite moments, I feel like, in this the few first few pages is I love when it's it's first Frenzy and Abigail, first of all. Mm-hmm. They are the they are the representatives, which is fantastic. And oh, uh, yes. I love that Frenzy puts Nova, Rich uh, Dick Ryder <laughs> in his name. <laughs> That's his name. But yeah. I know. And <laughs> but I love that she puts his little snarky ass, like bitchy face attitude in place because he's like, Well, I'm the representative of Earth. You should have came to me. And I'm like, when have you been a representative of Earth lately? Like when? Right. Not not recently, in like the past like right. what, like fifteen years? <laughs> so 
And you're the rep again, you're the representative of Earth. Nobody has claim on Mars. No. Nope. So why the fuck would I come come to you to talk about an uninhabited, uninhabitable planet in the solar system? Oh, oh. that's right. Eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> I would also note that, like, like all shade to to Nova, but it just it also says partial representative because like his position is not that official. Like he just no. happens to like know all of these people and have connections there, and so he's like a useful liaison. But he's not in any sort of official, you know, diplomatic capacity. But again, much like Cap, it's like, oh well, you should have. I wish you had consulted me. Like obviously, Nova's more upset. But it's the same mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, I mean, but you need to explain why. And Frenzy really puts him in his place by being like, actually, when things were going down here, we had to free our own country. We had to go stop Null. Like, we had to do all of these things. And you, yay for what you were doing with the Guardians, but you were clearly distracted. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you need help rebuilding the Nova Corps, we can help you with that. But don't come to me when you are not doing your job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Although and- the... What about the, okay, okay, what are people's thoughts on the intergalactic empire of Wakanda? Because it kind of pissed me off. I, I mean, I, Wakanda is always like that. They've been like that since the beginning of Hickman's, I mean, since the beginning of Wakanda, but since the beginning of Hickman's run with Krokoa, they don't want to rely on anyone else but Wakanda. That is Wakanda's way. That's also part of their downfall, um, is they're like, we are self-sustainable, so we have to only be self-sustained, you know? So yeah. it fits the again, protocol. Every now and again, they just, like, I love Wakanda as, as a base concept and everything every now and again it really irritates me because it it feels almost like american exceptionalism where Mm -hmm. that that idea of oh no we're we're completely self-sufficient we don't need anybody else's help or or mercy or pity or whatever they want to call it at that point in time it's like so you're literally trying to make no friends and no build no sort of relationships with anybody okay well what if something that is completely outside your purview or control happens but you've pissed everybody off yeah that's you know? that, that's a big thing wrong with Wakanda and I feel like that that's a big thing that they discussed in the last like two series that have happened mm-hmm. and that's that's a, that's another reason why even T'Challa is not even ruler anymore because he wasn't even thinking like that like if T'Challa or Shuri were there they wouldn't be you know saying exactly that but they are doing other things they have this representative there and he is still in he's like in the like um like the parliament <laughs> basically mm-hmm. of Wakanda so they are still in that you know we are Wakandan. We have right. to do this. We're not going to rely on the mutants to help us because also, and I feel like in the eyes of people on Earth, the humans are very unstable. Like they don't feel yes. like this is going to last long. Like they're like, oh well, the, the mutants have done stuff and it's crumbled down over and over again. So why should we rely on them when it's probably going to crumble down again? Which is such a, a shitty way to think. But it is logical, no matter how much, and I don't agree with it, but I do see the logic in it. And I wish they didn't think like that, because then if you come together, then you can make even something better. So, How successful were the first colonies? Exactly. The first American colonies failed horribly, horribly. It wasn't until they teamed up with people that they deemed lesser, aka the Native Americans, who knew the land, who listened to the land, who actually knew how to survive. Oh yeah, then. Then colonies started becoming successful. Hmm. 
and then they shot themselves in the foot and we ended up with things like the dust bowl i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) going on a little bit more (laughs) but um, i go off (laughs) (laughs) i'm more on a little positive note because this issue Mm -hmm. was super positive oh my god Um, yeah how can we discuss how Valerio Rashidi and Marty Garcia are so like a great team art-wise together? Because look how gorgeous they make the sword team look like. Manifold, Wizkid, Annabelle, I mean Annabelle, Abigail, and Frenzy. I mean, oh my gosh. I don't know if they're making Wizkid kind of gender fluid, but they look gender fluid in this and I am loving it. I wasn't quite sure if it's gender fluid or non-binary or just super I don't know. Good or good. I just the I love it either schemes, way. The yeah, the color schemes, the outfits, the everything's just. And I'm very okay with WizKid fully just being like a cis man, but also like I'm gonna turn looks. Like I'm I'm here for that kind of David mm-hmm. Bowie energy. Like I yes. I think that's actually kind of cool to see. I mean, like obviously I would love it even more if we got like more gender diversity, but it's also cool yeah. to see them taking the opportunity to be like, we don't need to um firmly establish this, but like we can have like cis men that are expressive. Um exactly. and we can have that that kind of vision in comics because like at the end of the day like most of these people are running around in pajamas and underwear and so <laughs> it's not necessarily the most sort of performatively masculine thing i've ever seen and at least this kid is like oh i'm gonna give you a show like regardless of how i identify i'm gonna give it to you and i was like no eat like eat like he ate that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i love that they you know, I feel like in some past books, they kind of, they don't really ignore the, you know, handy capable person, but they don't focus on them as much, you know, yeah. or they don't give them as much of a shine. Mm-hmm. And because of WizKid, they're able to, you know, to create the metal and have the idea, like, you know, have the structure for that. And just, he is a essential part of the team and he is giving like, you know, just as a a big as a shining moment as all the other members of the team. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. I feel like this representation and keeping him in the wheelchair because that this is this is his body this is what he wants to do is just such a great thing for them to do and they did note that in the designs for the characters like they i want to say maybe it was on like mutant mondays they talked about how they didn't want to like quote unquote fix whiskey because he doesn't need to be fixed Right, what like people with disabilities need is a world around them that's accessible, and yes. he can do that. It's even more beautiful because it's like he can do that on his own with his own gifts. And I really do love that. Like, Sword is such an interesting team because I don't, I don't know, I it's it's hard to think about like when you watch like the Avengers movies or whatever, and then like you watch, you read this comic, and it's like this is a team where like uh, a woman who loves to wear suits right like a a fairly stern somewhat masculine woman is running the show like even in this issue the three like the central team is a dark-skinned aboriginal man a dark-skinned black woman a asian person who is uh in a wheelchair and and storm which needs no introduction and it's just like (laughs) there's something really cool about this team and it's so organic like they don't even need to like to sort of like like remind you of the diversity of the team because it's an Mm -hmm. it's almost an expectation like it would be weird to see a team full of like able-bodied cisgender white superheroes talking to the galactic rim collective and like the galactic council because it would just the contrast would be very weird between this like horse person and captain america 
America. And I do appreciate yeah. that the mutants are like, no, we're actually a lot more like you guys, um, which is why we can kind of assert ourselves. Like we get, we get the scale that you guys live on and like yeah. the scale of like diversity and, and whatnot within all of these um, communities. Definitely, definitely, definitely agree with that. I, speaking of, you know, giving the diverse people a voice, Dante, what did you think of, you know, the fact that this group of this diverse group created this other big thing for Krakoa, this metal that is going to supply like the solar system and be like another thing that puts, you know, the mutants on a bigger galaxy kind of map? Uh, I think it's super exciting uh, to see that everything that we have seen in the sword book leading up to this point has been building to something that's actually pretty monumental uh, for Krakoa and Arako and mutants as a whole. You know, I think like Broadway was saying, this is such a wonderful, diverse team. Characters I don't think we've really ever seen together, but somehow feel so cohesive and just fit so well with each other. And their dynamic is fantastic. And I think one of the great things about having, you know, somewhat lesser known characters or lesser utilized characters is that we get to have these amazing new uh, interpersonal dynamic and uses of powers and sword is just giving that in in you know spades like it's just amazing so the this whole new metal thing I mean it's it's such a super interesting concept with this new currency uh, and being at the at the center of that like it's yeah I'm just I'm so psyched to see where this is going to take us uh, and the mutants I don't know why I keep saying us why am I a mutant so so proudly a mutant um I'm, excited. I'm so excited. I'm a, I'm a mutant. Very that. Very that. I'm I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to see how much more elevated we get to be after the gala because I mean the gala was huge for mutants, but it definitely doesn't feel like it's stopping there. No, it definitely doesn't. I I do want to say right before it has nothing to do with what you just said, <laughs> but you, I'm glad that but you made great points. And but I just got distracted because I I know they made fun of him for it in the book and but I love Star Lord's antler hat thing. Oh yeah. And I and I want it and I want to wear it because it looks really ridiculous and kind of dumb, but it looks good as well. <laughs> we have had plenty of characters that have had antlers and whatnot coming out of their heads, and that has been perfectly acceptable. So I don't see why this is any more, oh my God, than, you know, let's say Hella from MCU. Right. Like, come on. I mean, there's been, or there's been Dr. Plenty. Doom. Oh, like, look at Dr. Doom, and he's, like, talking about Star-Lord's antlers, which was funny to me. Um, yeah. But it's just like, <laughs> well, dude, have you seen yourself? <laughs> he's like a full emo man in the iron mask kind of thing going on. Right. Like, I'm amazed Full Metal Alchemist hasn't sued them. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, dude. Um, speaking can I just, of Dr. Sorry, Doom. real quick. Oh, can no, I just say to, to what Dante was talking about? Um, I really feel like, I mean, I think there's a, definitely a contingent of people who are like, I don't really get the Hellfire Gala. I don't really whatever, whatever. But to me, I feel like the Hellfire Gala, like one, obviously it was supposed to be like each book had its own take on what's going on and its own relationship mm -hmm. to it. But the crux of it with like Mysterium and all of that is the spirit of Hoxpox 
right? Like the the making like in Hotspots they made Krakoa like livable and functional for them. Here they made Mars livable and functional for them, and then obviously named it Araka. Um, and then um, they've taken something that only mutants can produce, and they've done exactly what they said in in both Hotspots and um, X Men number four. And it's like they they'll all pay for it. Like that's the reality. Is like is like when they put all their skills together, mutants put all their skills together, they can do things that nobody else can and everyone will pay for it because like, unfortunately like that's capitalism 101, but like, I mean, it's a supply and demand. Um, and I, I love that this event really sort of harkens back to that same kind of collectivist um, spirit of Hoxpox that like really just like warmed my heart. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I love that the, you know, people, like you said, say, what's the point of the hellfire gala i mean it was the next step of this era of mutant evolution from not just of earth but of the galaxy like this was their next step and showing who the mutants are beyond earth and this was showing to earth that mutants can evolve from i mean yeah showing earth that the mutants can evolve from earth you know evolve from it like go right. away from it like we don't need earth we stay here because we have people that we love here. But if we wanted to, we could terraform another planet and move Kokoa too. So, <laughs> and it, um, and I feel like I thought I had something to say, but I'm blanking right now. Oh, sorry. It's just <laughs> yeah. that, um, like, and when I think about the other crossover events that um, have been sort of engaged by the X line, so like Empire and uh, and King in Black, it's like it also is connected to those things because it's like, yeah, like the Kotati arrived and like, yes, the mutants like beat them back and like took them out on, on, on the moon. But it was also like, they don't like the fact that the Kotati arrived and invaded their planet. They don't like the fact that Null arrived and like who was trying to deal with its sword, right? It's them like taking all these little things that have been like problems for them or have been like disruptive to, you know, partying at the Green Lagoon and being like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. Like these other mutants coming through other worlds and like all of that, like Annihilation, we're not doing that. These space entities coming in, we're not doing that. Like, we're, I'm sorry, but like, you're not about to like ruin my like tiki drink with Blob <laughs> because Captain America and Captain Marvel and Alpha Flight can't do their job. We'll just do it. And I kind of love that energy. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Talk about the opposite of, I guess not really the opposite, another form, I should say, of big dick energy, but probably a small one, <laughs> is Dr. Doom coming in and just blasting. <laughs> you don't think, you don't think so? Uh, what you, that was uh, not uh, big dick energy. That was little dick energy. Oh, no, I know. That He's was little. such, like, little dick energy. That was worried about, oh, why wasn't I invited? Like, Karen, there was a reason you were not included. We've seen how you treat your own people and mutants within your whole little freaking village. Uh-uh. You can keep your crappy-ass Renaissance Festival. We're doing <laughs> something big here. Get screwed. That's why we didn't not invite you. Not a Renaissance Ooh. Festival. Ooh. No, Ooh, if I you, do not like him. I do not like him. If you look at LaVeri, it's a fucking poor-ass Renaissance Festival. Yes. And he makes his citizens worship him. And he just will, like, just kill one for no reason and just be like, well, they got graced by doom so it's like <laughs> and no turkey legs like what is a renaissance festival without turkey legs like why are right, we you here got, i got a sparrow wing <laughs> right 
I Doom's hope that like, was government like, improved. Doom's like, I don't like turkeys. So <laughs> no turkey leg seeker. Because they could take his ass. Ugh, but I love how Doom was coming in and being like, well, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And now you've got Mars and now you think you're top shit. Who's going to, he didn't even call Erica. I mean, Erkoa. He just called it Mars. And he was like, I, you know what? You don't even have anything. How do you think you're going to keep it all? You say Earth is not together. How are you going to keep Mars all together? And then I like how Manifold's like, hold on. Let me just open this portal real quick. Shush, hush, hush. Hold on. Let me open. <laughs> uh, I love it because she calls him. Oh, no, go on. Dante, Dante. <laughs> Our, our fireworks are better. <laughs> I think she did, because, I mean, Abigail has a plan for everything. So I'm sure she did assume Doom was going to show up. Well, the very fact that he said, who is the king of Mars? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, like he kept, he, who is the king? Um, who rules you? Tell me his name. And I was like, yeah, oh, like, oh, oh, oh no. and it's just, I there's something so delicious and kind of like, <laughs> almost like Game of Thronesy about the mm -hmm. way in which it's this is scripted where it's just a hand and it's victor you know my name like who tell me doom i am doom i like it's all <laughs> and it's just this elegant ladylike hand and it says everything like i that was when i was screaming and I, i'm gonna get evicted <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it was great because i mean fucking doom tried he wanted to fucking marry storm he wanted. He was in love with her. Yeah, no, yeah. But he was enthralled by her. Like, who isn't? But he was like, I want Storm to be my queen. So, of course, she's like, Victor, you know me. You know me, boo. You were in love with me. So, and now, who you, you going to sit up to me? He's like, I, she's like, I know you're not because I'm Storm. I'm going to roll him in a row. I'm the wind rider. <laughs> I will run enough lightning through your suit to melt it into slag and you with it. I, Valerio Shidi and Marty Garcia, the way they mm -hmm. made Storm look, I just, uh, I need it. I need that original sketch with the colors on my wall in a, yes. in a frame. Oh my God. Please, like, I will pay money for it. Tell me she <laughs> keeps this outfit and the hair and the gloriousness going on. Just, oh my God. So she has that same outfit in the next cover of Sword. So I'm assuming yeah. she keeps this outfit. I hope this is like, her region of soul queen of Mars outfit. Because that's please, a queen outfit. Please let her keep that. That is just too glorious. And it's stunning the way her hair turns into the wind and lightning. Uh, like, it's just... Like, you want a panel that just says, Storm is that girl, and this is it. And and it's it's just... I... I, I uh, I almost wish I had to turn it this like like I wanted to be able to turn it long ways to see it. <laughs> and that so like good. we all knew it was happening, mm -hmm. but like but like even when we were talking about it in Planet Size X Men, I was like, if they don't make Storm the region of Soul, right. I don't understand what's happening. Right. <laughs> so, right. I it just makes so much sense. I'm I can't ready wait. To give up. <laughs> I know. Right. I, if it, if if they made somebody, I don't know who, but somebody else, I'd been like, well. I guess I'll keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we'll make Wolverine the Regent of Soul. Oh God! Uh, like oh. if they if they made if they made this like fifteen years ago, he would have oh, right. Would have said be on Nimrod. Like let's just be done. It's not right? gonna work out. Let's just if it was fifteen years ago, it would have been Wolverine with like the Phoenix. 
and it would have been like, let's go. And I'd be like, oh, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> I I know in the next issue, she's on the cover of fighting some eight, like some um, alien, like, um, like entities. <laughs> so I was gonna, I was trying to stick the bad guys, um, minions. Oh yeah, some like bad guy minions, like alien bad guy minions. Um, so she's gonna be in the next issue. Um, but like I like I said in Planet Size X Men, I think that Hickman's next book is gonna be about Mar- like the planet Araco, Mars. You know, so I think that she's gonna mainly probably be in that. But Sword, they have two stations in Sword, and one is orbiting Mars. So Sword is gonna interchange with that. She's gonna be like they're they're gonna be two in one. Like Hickman and Al Ewing will be working together because those two books are gonna go hand in hand. I'm assuming. Mm. Um, and they did say in uh, the latest Mutant. Mondays, um, Jordan White, the uh, editor, he did say that that Storm's like main book is going to be Sword now, uh, oh, no longer Marauders. Yeah. So that's good. News. Oh, yeah, and I think Marauders. that I'm like really excited because like obviously there's the sort of diplomatic component of Sword, and now there's like a, a leadership, but also she's going to have to deal with like Araka. She's going to have to deal with like with like Iska the Unbeaten and all of them, and it's just like it's so exciting. <laughs> And I feel also that, as you said, like, if it wasn't Swarm, I would have been really upset because it's so clear that that was the combination, even from, like, Ten of Swords. Like, it says at the end, like, she returned, the Ninth Sword was returned, and it's it's Swordsbearer turned to the stars. And it's just, like, this was, like, her thing. And I'm so excited. Like, I could not, like, I'm, like, glowing. Like, it's just so (laughs) perfect. And I like the challenge of her being, like, all right, I'm a Krakoan. I was the, like, one of the only Krakoans that really, like, slayed the contest of swords and took down death, held back the Amenthi armies. So, like, you're gonna recognize, like, you mutants, the Uraco mutants are gonna recognize that I'm that girl. But they're also gonna be, like, you're still gonna have to earn it. And I like that. I like that as a challenge for her. Yeah. Do you do y'all do y'all think she they're gonna keep her like do you think she's gonna be able to stay on the quiet council or do you think she's gonna probably have to leave because of her responsibilities? Oh, I think she's beyond the quiet council. Yeah, like I it's think... it's it's just too much res- like she has too much responsibility. She's a planet. No, so. no, no. It's 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 not even about being beyond responsibility or like too much responsibility. I think she is literally just beyond the quiet council and all their little petty scheming and all that kind of bullshit she is looking towards the universe towards Mm -hmm. you know the galaxies to other uh alien races that we haven't yet met she hesn't got time for charles's bullshit or (laughs) putting out fires with magneto you know emma and kate have got their shit handled quite well and she doesn't need to be kate doesn't need to be babysat anymore like yeah. She put. She made sure everybody was going to be in good hands without her because she was going to be so far away and doing things that were so freaking important. I don't think she's going to have time, and I, I don't think she would need to lower herself to being on the position of the White Council when she's running an entire freaking planet. I do love that both of the Omega level women, Jean and Storm, both are like. I'm kind of done with the Quiet Council. Like, this, I'm kind of bigger than it, and this is kind of messy, and I don't like it. <laughs> so we're going to move on now. Like, Gina's like, I'm going to go be a hero, because, you know, that's what she likes to do. I mean, she was part of the original five. And Storm was like, I'm going to go be a queen, because that's what I like to do. She's done that since she was a teenager, basically, too, in Africa. So they're, like, doing what they are basically were born to do since they were younger. 
So I think it really fits. Mystique is just hanging out on the Riot Council until she can destroy them. I mean, she's going to blow it up. She's she's going to blow it up. She's going to pull a whole V for Vendetta. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm of the mind that she might stay on the council. Like, I definitely agree that she's beyond it. But I do think there's a utility in that, like, she is the liaison between Arako, the Great Ring, all of these Mm -hmm. space systems, and the Quiet Council. Like, for me, honestly, I would love it if they, like, put Jean back on because it's like if there's going to be like a superhero team out there they should probably consult with their like home country's government not to like not for permission but just so that like they're all kind of in the loop like there's like utility and like everybody sort of communing like that um, I also, my worry is that, like, the the quote-unquote good side of the council is, like, very fractured if Storm leaves. Like, Nightcrawler's the only one in his, like, panel or whatever, like, their side of things. They're still missing Apocalypse. Um, and, I like, I just... I Apocalypse is coming back anytime soon, is he? No, I don't think so either. But my concern is, like... Yeah, do we really want, like, a voting block between, like, what, uh, maybe Shaw, definitely Exodus, Sinister, and Mystique, and maybe sometimes Magneto? Like, that doesn't seem like the direction yeah. that Krakoa wants to go, and definitely doesn't seem like the the um, the the best face to put on mutant kind when dealing with, like, other countries. Like, I feel like people would be very scared if that was who was running things. So, I don't know. Maybe they just need to, like, nominate some new people. Um, but yeah, they haven't yeah. done that yet. And maybe that's yeah, part that, of Inferno, honestly. I think I think that is going to be part of Inferno. But that does... That's honestly what I was thinking at first, Broadway, is, like, I... When I when the Fight Council first did start, I did love that Gina Storm were on there because they are, like, the conscience of the, you know, the, the X-Men, basically. Or, like, the main X-Men of mutes, you know? They are, like, you know, well, this isn't right. And that's part of the reason why they I don't want to stay there. It's because they know a lot of stuff. Right. Um, but they but they are essential to be there. Or at least someone that's like them needs to take their place because you do need people that are part of the main government to be like, hey, cool, I'm glad y'all have a plan, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Because obviously, as we've seen, Xavier and Magneto are not the best when it comes to, you know, thinking outside of a plan. <laughs> they kind of screw people over, obviously. And, you know, Mystique doesn't care. Sinister only cares about himself. Exodus Ex- doesn't care. Like, Shaw doesn't, like, and Nightcrawler is having an instant crisis so like you right you don't you have kate but like she's on marauders she's like away a lot so yeah they do they need if they if if gene doesn't come back and if storm leaves they definitely need two other people and another person to replace apocalypse that are more stable and stay there and don't try to leave Hey everyone, it's Nathan, and I'm so psyched to bring you this next segment of X's for Podcast. In this next segment, Blake, Jonah, Arturo, Evelyn, and I discuss the at sometimes amazing and at sometimes controversial Hellfire Gala issue of The Way of X, Way of X 3. We discuss topics ranging from reproductive rights of Krakoa, the heteronormative nature of that first law of Krakoa, what was Kurt up to that whole night, and... Are Dazzler and Dr. Nemesis really going to get it on after this? We hope you enjoy listening to this next segment as much as we enjoyed making it.
Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of X's for Podcast. I'm Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. And I'm Arturo, your friendly neighborhood Mr. Toy Box on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Blake. You can find me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Hi, Blake. Hi, Hi everybody. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blake's Buzz. And you can go to blakesbuzz.com for a bunch of indie reviews and comic book news. And you can now find me on YouTube at Blake's Buzz. I'm everywhere. If you look under your cushion, you might find me. <laughs> <laughs> like, loose chain, like, loose, like loose change like loose change okay Blake and if, you fi- and if you find any loose change under the cushions please put them in the variant jar where Blake is collecting <laughs> for his next variant <laughs> hey guys I'm Evelyn the comic canary if you guys want to find me on twitter and instagram I'm at comic underscore canary and I'm Jonah, and it feels like we're hosting our own kids' TV show. <laughs> and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike the love between Mercury and Loa, because oh boy, did that turn sour very fast. Oh my God, yes, it did. Mm-hmm. I was I was gonna say, you know, like Nightcrawler's liver, but what you did, Jonah, was even better. So, <laughs> so today we are covering. Of the Way of X number three. It is written by Cy Spurrier, Bob Quinn on art, Java Tartaglia is the color artist, VC's Clayton Cowles is letterer, and overall on the X line, we have Tom Muller on design. The gala is well in full swing now. We've already seen the fireworks, and like any great party with an open bar, we already have our first office drunk, Nightcrawler. So we got to see a little of his exploits in these previous issues but we get to see a little bit more of it now before we kind of get into the main crux of the story and it is quite a story what is your guys's favorite drunken nightcrawler moment of the gala i mean all of it i've never really related to nightcrawler more than in this party moment i've definitely been there done that and i just love that he's such a happy drunk and he's funny and he's he's messy as hell but he's just such a good guy (laughs) i love nightcrawler the following morning was probably my favorite when he's like He's walking over the all the confetti and the, the party leftovers yes. and he's like holding his head and he's just like he's like, Oh I was like, Oh man, like, yep, like you guys nailed that. And, but when he when he steals the coffee from um uh Nemesis, Nemesis yeah. Doctor, yeah, yeah, Doctor Doctor Nemesis, Nemesis, yeah. Like that was that was probably one of my favorite parts because he's mentioning like he had like extra strong cocoa coffee and then he's like BAMP snag and I was like, Oh man, that would be so useful. My personal favorite was Kurt talking to Kyle and North Star say oh, how the God, first yes. is pretty heteronormative. <laughs> and we're like, Kurt, you do realize that the term making babies, it's always will be. And there's no conceivable way for North Star and Kyle to conceive a child, no matter how hard they try. Oh, I bet Dr. Nemesis could help with that. <laughs> I'm here for it. Like we're gonna get into we it. We have to like, worry about eugenics. Hey, eugenics! Ooh. Listen, eugenics. Uh, it's just. It's just. <laughs> Whoa! It's, it's not good. It's, it's, I, it's, I do have a lot to say. It's not good public policy, but it would be good Krakoan stories. I'm ready to talk babies. Let's not go on the support of eugenics, right? No, now. no, of course not. not. Of course not. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think my favorite drunken moment, you'd think it would be the one where he's like trying to pull the microphone from Dazzler and she's like, give me another fucking mic back. It's not a <laughs> fucking grinder. I am shocked um, that your favorite moment was the one panel with Dazzler. <laughs> no, you'd think it was that. You would think it was that. But my favorite moment was actually where like he's talking to Megan and he's like, oh yeah, no, I'm totally definitely over you. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love I love Nanny's little cameo. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nanny just fucked up. Love it. <sighs> I mean, honestly, for me, it was the Dazzler moment. <laughs> yes! Because, like, I know people who, like, when they get drunk, they get, like, stuck on a topic and they need to tell everyone. <laughs> And that's something that I can totally imagine, like, a couple of my friends doing. And Dazzler just being like, fuck off. is beautiful. My my one thing, my one complaint that was missing is Drunken Nightcrawler bumping into Havoc and having Alex Summers explain to him the Madeline Pryor of it all. Like, that's the conversation that I needed to see happen. Oh my god, that would have been amazing. I'm trying to make more mutants, but you guys won't bring my girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Make more mutants. Well, yes. How about we make more clones? Like, I want that to happen so bad. Uh, And poor Kurt, he's like passed out in the corner when Magneto and Wanda have their dance. Like, I'm like, like, fuck, that's a moment to miss right there. Like, uh. That's great, though. It's great. I love I love that that is a moment that happened, you know? And and kind of like how we, we're seeing, like, the fireworks happen in different issues. It was cool to see this moment play out in a different issue. Uh, that was that was probably the best moment of Sword. Well, no. I think the best moment of Sword was when Storm comes out and she's like, no, Victor, you know my fucking name. <laughs> that was the greatest moment of, like, of the Quirko and Era, possibly. But I, I, <laughs> I think so. hey, I, I mean, we kind of suspected something like that was going to happen like you know we had pretty much narrowed it down to either storm or iska and uh you know so that was great but i did not see magneto and wanda coming at all so that was such that to me was the moment of the comic because it was like so unexpected and so powerful and to see it echo into into way of x was cool pulled at my heartstrings i was like yes but then i'm like oh how's she gonna get away with this now we get to the morning after right like people are you know forced to deal with the repercussions of their last night and kurt has a hell of a hangover that he's got to get over i think out of this scene i think my favorite part of it is dr nemesis and dazzler having to sit next to each other like it's fucking starbucks krakoa in like the green lagoon like you know like they're out there looking for their wi-fi to like you know compose their whatever but i what did you guys think of that moment with kurt and nemesis and legion and the lagoon i mean honestly i had the same thought i'm just like there's a starbucks on krakoa it was really fun for me because you see that that's a thing that happens is you're at some coffee shop trying to do homework and there's some asshole playing music some wannabe dj uh i'm not talking from personal experience and it 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 was just it was just a moment of just very real like this is the thing and then just all of them talking it was just really interesting conversations i when we get to later stuff i have a lot to say but yeah that's 
<laughs> I did enjoy this. Part. I I am a huge fan of the Araco, formerly Mars, after after party. Like seeing the mutants like raving till dawn. That just that made me so happy. That is such a pure like beautiful thing like we are in such an era now where mutants partying in the background is becoming like a commonplace uh scenery that we keep seeing like in different moments whether it's at the green lagoon whether now it's at mars like it's just so cool to see that that like joy i just like to think that the whole island is like sprinkled with croco and molly like just, <laughs> just everybody's just like, <laughs> just covered in molly dust and it's just like this crazy rave but yeah i, I love that too. black tom sure. says you're welcome <laughs> pixie is megan just going around pixie she's just going around spreading her wings we need to stop and talk about pixie's hair pixie's look is such a serve she looks she's never looked this cool but this is the coolest pixie of all time i love 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 this pixie so this scene was everything and i may or may not have a very similar experience it wasn't at a coffee shop but this happened my freshman year of uh college where i was in a very remote location that of my uh dorm building that nobody really went to and i was trying to work on a project and somebody else came up and i will not name names i will not talk to anybody (laughs) but this person from my college wanted to be a rapper and i sat there trying to listen to him rap (laughs) and you best believe i did listen to the entire album (laughs) later and uh it has cemented itself in my vernacular i again not to name names but the phrase and this is in a real rap that he produced and put on an album thick hips with them bra full i did not I understand Dr. Nevis's <laughs> position here, but also you chose to sit, to sit there. That is your own fault. You know Dazzle hangs out there. That is, that is <laughs> on you. And to that I say, if you're from Maine, please do not rap. <laughs> I will say, like, on, like, seeing the mutants constantly partying, something in my heart just loves it. Because mutants and X-Men, they've been through so much shit. Like, just beyond shit. And so having some time for them to just party, to let loose, to enjoy life, to enjoy themselves, I think that, like, I totally get it. If I was being a mutant and constantly being demonized and suddenly I can I have, like, freedom, oh, fuck yeah, I'm gonna party. So I really did, like, just the partying in the background, like, I get it. And I... It's a total vibe, and I'm here for it. I also think it's teasing us, because I I really think shit's going to go down in Inferno. And so I think the liveliness of the gala and this new wonderful Mars situation, and then these, you know, the the happiness of it all, and and just, it's like this giant celebration. Like, I feel like they're they're building us up to make the fall even greater, which is kind of- Oh, I fully agree. It's it's kind of scary, too, but I'm, like, also excited about it, because I'm like, you know, like, she's miss raven's gonna burn it down like it's coming but like you keep forgetting about it because everybody's so happy and dancing and and making the loves and and making, <laughs> trying to practice and making babies at least you know which is the, that's the fun part like you know 
so but yeah i just i keep i don't know like i i just feel like they're kind of just teasing us in in a sense but i'm enjoying it like you know tease me please but you know i keep thinking about like what's about to happen because everything's going so well you know like it's it's finally i guess other than you know the the elephant in the room that we're gonna have to talk about later oh yeah (laughs) i mean i guess like not everything's going super well but you know you know what i'm saying uh yeah and the elephant we're talking about is not the unfortunate (laughs) not the unfortunate mammo max (laughs) i want to talk a little bit about legion and pixie's attempt to help mercury and loa connect they're having trouble connecting because loa shreds when she gets too excited and thank god mercury is just liquid mercury but before we kind of jump into it i do want to mention online there has been a lot of there's been some chatter about this scene some people have been very unhappy in the way this was portrayed because they felt that you know this is the first new same-sex coupling that we've seen in the krakoan era to have it have that sort of tragedy they felt it was sort of going along with the barrier gaze trope yeah this this was like a roller coaster because when we get to loa and mercury i'm like oh word here it is finally a good lesbian relationship not just like a kiss (laughs) in the corner and and then you know they're doing the mind merge thing and it's like awesome and then it gets really really weird um and look it, i i i think hey anyone's read on stuff is valid like i understand people's frustrations yep. i still have my my torch and pitchfork ready for when we storm the castle because karma and mirage didn't kiss uh, when karma mm. got resurrected i'm still mad about that like everybody you know you're entitled to your feelings and whatever it's all good but my read on it was yes it would have been nice for this to go a nicer way for them but i didn't see it as anything like that has to do with their sexuality like it could have literally been any couple and they could have experienced that right like that cool euphoric thing and then just like weird dark thoughts and it gets a little too close and grimy and so i don't know people saw it as like a negative reflection on a girl and on girl relationship and i just saw it as like about relationships in general you know and i was happy that the couple in question was two girls like just seeing them like I, i think it was I think it does more good than harm this part of the story. These are going to be problems that we come across because yeah. it's not going to be able to have like these wonderfully happy moments every time or, or it just won't work. Right. It'll be, they'll, they'll turn into boring stories and, and we don't want that either. So yeah, I, you know, there's, there's still a lot of issues with, you know, sexuality and things that need to be addressed in, in all forms of literature. Right. Um, and, and, and I think it's getting better, but you know, it's like sometimes people try and then they still get mad. And I don't, I, I as, as a straight guy, I, I don't, I feel like I get nervous talking about, stuff like i i love everybody i want everybody to be happy and i want everybody to be characters to identify with in all forms of literature in all forms of art cinema and everything and i think it's getting better but it's definitely it's it's definitely getting better it's definitely getting better and i think it's important to remember like yeah that you know representation and all that stuff matters but like beyond that you know just like identifying these characters as lesbians for example or or whatever the case may be pan by you know as as the cases vary those characters don't then become you know a a a role model of that representation or some like 
holy, you know, cow that we can't sacrifice. Like there's still characters in stories. They're still going to go through shit. They're still going to, they're still going to have their flaws and their problems and their, their hangups. And, and I think that's, that's great. You know, I think, I think this, I think you can't say like, okay, these are, you know, these are now lesbian characters. So now we have to, you know, protect them. (laughs) Like nobody that's boring. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't want them just, okay, let's marry them off and have them, you know, raising a bunch of cats on Krakoa. Like, no, that's not a good story. <laughs> that's not good. You know, this is this is cool. There's a lot of disturbing stuff that Cyspurrier is putting down. Like we haven't even gotten to the the bower yet and the the baby situation. Ooh, yeah. Like there are things about this book that are a bit off-putting, a bit unsettling, you know, a bit whoa that's not what i what i came here thinking this was going to be but i think it's all being done intentionally i think i think he's exploring these different cracks in in Krico and you know foundation and hopefully we'll start seeing like some solutions and some positive ways of addressing these things no absolutely like as a queer woman i actually did enjoy this scene because yeah it kind of shows that queer couples are the same as hetero couples where we do have issues. We do have fights and divorce and such. And showing this, I feel like, is equality because it shows that there's also problems with same-sex marriage and dating where it's like sometimes you're just not compatible. Because a lot of stereotypes I hear is like, um, like if you're a lesbian, you go on one date and then you end up married and moving in together. Which sometimes and, does happen. It's a trope for a reason. I, I, I was going to say, it's a trope for a reason. No, and it, love several of those ladies and it's all good. But yeah, that doesn't mean it's Yeah, no, same. I, I have a couple friends like that as well. But at the same time, this shows totally. that it it's not always like that because you kind of also get that stereotype that gays will just fuck, like, fuck anyone and fuck around. And that's, I mean, that's a trope for a reason as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for saying it. So I didn't have to. (laughs) Totally. But it's, but yeah, it's just, I, again, I just, I, I liked it because it does show like a part of reality that you don't really see from queer couples in media. And because the only like conflict you usually get, especially with um, female, female presenting couples is that like one of them dies for tragic effect. That's a TV trope for a reason is that a couple, two female presenting people, one of them always has to die. Um, Looking at you, the 100. Oh God. (laughs) It's just... It's so boring and tiring that that's the conflict they think has to happen. So having like actual real conflict is is actually compelling. Oh no no I agree I'm I'm so personally I'm like you said I'm tired of barrier your gaze like I see another fucking barrier your gaze kind of yeah. trope play out like I'm gonna throw a fit but this wasn't that this was something real and specific to the mutant population you know just the way that the powers are going to get in way in the way of them being human and and interact and being intimate and physical with each other so I, I definitely definitely agree with you on that. 
I, I also want to note that Loa and Mercury are two very young mutants, and I imagine coming into their own in terms of their sexuality, their womanhood, or feminine presentinghood, and everything about whatever they are, they don't have the emotional intelligence to understand that other people are nuanced and have darker thoughts or might get more attached easily. They don't understand that their people have flaws and it's okay to say, well, these flaws just aren't for me and I don't know if I can do it, or say, you know, these flaws don't seem as big of a deal to me and I think I can I can handle it. They're young queer women who realize that they got a little bit too far into their own head and literally and psychically. I don't think they realize the amount of emotional maturity needed to not specifically do that, but just understand that people, not just mutants and anybody, are complex layers of beings and we have darker sides where we think about killing our moms or we might get so attached where we want to have eight kids and which ones will be adopted and which ones we might have a sperm donor for. I'm not too sure what Loa was thinking, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I don't know. We might need uh, mutant sex ed class on Krakoa. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 That's a new podcast segment, ladies and gentlemen. Mutant sex ed. Yeah, the, the whole scene kind of reminded me a little bit of Kitty and Colossus. Mm, yeah. Um, Because, like, their first time together, Kitty lost control <laughs> and, and, and phased into yeah. a public room. Still one of my and favorite moments. <laughs> it was, it's such a great comedic effect. And that was like one of the first times we saw like issues with mutant abilities in intimate situations. So seeing more of that again is really interesting. That was very interesting. Now you, you've got me very distracted. I'm like blushing thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> because it, uh, yeah, let, just suffice to say that moment with Kitty and Colossus did a lot to really, really solidify my obsession with Colossus. So I was like, of, of course he would make her phase through it. And anyways. <laughs> Literally pounded her through the floor. Is that what you're trying to Oh my to god. god. Kate Pride, she gets all the cute outfits. She gets the hot... <laughs> uh, hold on, hold on. Cute outfit. <laughs> You've seen her dress herself. Kate Pride needs to have a stylist and it's very good that she can hang on to Emma now because could you imagine it when Kitty was 15 and she was walking around Emma in those outfits Emma would have a conniption and Emma would die like on the spot from an aneurysm that her adoptive daughter would walk around like that that roller derby outfit like from 150 whoa that is a cute outfit all right listen people people <laughs> didn't know what to do with betsy johnson at the time either like some artists are just outside of <laughs> outside of your conventional norms uh, you gotta post you gotta now, now now i'm wanting you to do like a lifestyle blog where you post like photos of you like dressed up in kitty pride outfits that would be kind of amazing all, all, all in an elaborate Please. in an elaborate ploy to to uh, Laura Colossus. Also, uh, like a lot of you guys were talking about, I think that telepathic relations, oh, just the idea of two minds pretty much like just like joining in like in a mass. I, I don't think that's going to be for everyone. And I think that they should teach that in Krakoa. Like I think Blake had mentioned Krakoa and sex ed. Like they should teach about telepathic relations in Krakoa and sex ed. Yeah, just the part that I thought was going to cause issues, which I loved it, but I, you know, I'm a dirty old man. And they, <laughs> <laughs> there was this, there was this, well, uh, we have the a soundbite. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's the part where pixie's like oh my god what's happening what's going on i love this and they're just like there's like looks of pleasure on the women right and while legions like got the electricity around their heads and stuff and so there's like sort of these this like even their poses are kind of like their toes yeah you can tell you see the toes (laughs) the back arch i I know that back arch i know that very well (laughs) (laughs) and so i was like I was, you know, when everyone got, you know, irritated about stuff, I was like, I was like, well, I, I thought, I thought someone would go after Psy for, for making Pixie like for a little like voyeur, like, you know, creepstress, you know, but it, I was like, I loved it. I, it made me laugh. And then I also thought it like the pacing was cool too. It was like, it was like cutesy and funny mm-hmm. and sexy. And then it just gets weird as fuck. And I was like, okay. Like, like I think Arturo, you said it was a roller coaster. Like it was definitely, it was definitely a ride. I was like, this is insane. Yeah, and I'm that's just not, good storytelling. Like this yeah. in, in X-Men comics, you know, like this is cool. Embrace. We've been talking about it for a long time. You know, make more mutants, this age of be free love on Krakoa. But so many, like we don't get a lot of it. You know, we just, it's like stuff's mentioned or maybe someone kisses, but like, let's get weird. Let's get hot. You know, Hell Make yeah. me sweat a little bit while I'm turning these pages. I'm cool with it. And I love that this book is doing it, exploring these themes in such a, an interesting way. You're kind of like walking around with Nightcrawler and going through these diff- different interactions. It, it almost kind of reminds me of like the Sandman universe. Like, and I guess that's part of like the Legion of it all. Like Legion kind of has an effect where you're talking about, you know, you're in the psychic plane and you're, you know, deep desires and thoughts and secrets. And it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. For sure. I also want to note that they explain why it doesn't work literally like a page after where Pixie goes, but you and Blindfold were in love. Right. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. If you're actually in love with someone, you probably can accept all of them. If you don't know someone very well, you're getting to know them. Maybe don't do a psychic mind meld. <laughs> and then it turns yeah, out it's it's quite the first date. <laughs> and it's just Legion using them as bait. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that was that was another reason why it didn't work too, is because of the yet again the elephant in the room. The elephant and not Mamma Max. <laughs> All right. Uh, so. Then we happen back upon Kurt just taking a lovely stroll through Kokoa when he's jumped on his ex-teammate Stacy X, who is running a mutant brothel again, but not really. Ooh, it's more of like a mutant smack. hookup. Yeah, like mutant, I just you'll smacked get smacked you. in the mouth, yeah. sir. <laughs> but it's more like a mutant hookup spot, not really a brothel. But and she's and she's watching and she's taking care of the babies that are just abandoned. Uh, so, separate things, I think we gotta we gotta separate those two things. But so, I want to talk to something that happens right before then is the heartbreak and Kurt when he's like, "You're handing out contraceptives." Oh my god! Yeah. She's like, I thought you were supposed to be less Catholic. She's like, oh, she's like, oh my god, you're being serious. <laughs> <laughs> the sex sheriff yeah i i gasped when i saw stacy x i mean i knew she was coming at some point but like that was a surprise to me like and i was reading it digitally so it just like that panel appeared and i gasped i was like yes stacy x i've been so excited to see her again on krakoa and i think it's cool that they're doing something different with her character it's still very true to her but rather than it being like sex work for the sake of survival, which I think is, you know, it, it's a trope and it's a it's a real thing. You know, a lot of people go into sex work for that. I like that on Krakoa, it's she's evolving it or devolving it back to something more primal and and just yeah. part of like humanity, 
you know, since our beginning, right? And talking about temple sex and just like, it's like a different way to get to the truth, right? It's like Stacey X now represents like this kind of tantric, you know, belief power. It's really cool. It's a different way to, you know, quote unquote, get to God, which I think is the foundation of what this whole book is really about. Was anybody thrown by the fact that, yes, even though Kurt has gotten a lot less Catholic and religious in that way, in his quest to create the new mutant religion, he sort of adopted some of those old ways, those old norms, especially by throwing the fit about the contraception used in the Bauer. Oh, as a recovering Catholic myself, I can tell you that there is certain things that are just like... That yeah, that you have to deprogram yourself, and and some of it is just like kind of hardwired, you know. So yeah, I mean, I think I think he's post-Catholic nowadays, but I think that, and I I don't think you want to see him totally lose that. Like that's still part of his anatomy. I was I was talking to Nico the other day, and and I apologized for something, and and he was like he was like no, don't be sorry. It's it's not like a sorry thing. And I was like yeah, I'm always sorry. And he was like yeah, we were both Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was. That yeah, Catholic yeah. guilt, yeah, it man, just gets it's, you. it's real, it, it's and real. it stays with you. Like, you know, I, I, I was raised Catholic, right? So, like, my, my dad made a promise to my mom, whose family was very religious, that he, you know, whatever kids they had, they'd put through private school. And so, like, you know, I went to private school, grade school, and high school, and you know, like. I, I mean, that's like most people who are in those situations. That's why I'm not religious anymore. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I was in a more liberal family. Like, I don't even think my parents really liked going to church that much because it would be like, you know, we were like the holiday church goers. Like, oh, mm. it's probably it's Christmas. We should probably go. Same. Like, oh, it's Easter. And, you know, and I, and I have one sister, so it's not like I have a family of like, you know, six to eight siblings. Like we had a pretty small family. So I was in kind of like a different Catholic scenario, but yeah, it's, I, I really connect with this book on a lot of freaking levels and it's crazy. Like it's, I feel, sometimes I feel like size, size in my head and I'm like seeing Nightcrawler and I've always loved Nightcrawler. Um, but more of like, I, I like swashbuckling Nightcrawler, like, you know, badass ninja Nightcrawler. And I really like this kind of confused finding a new identity a new way to believe um nightcrawler it's very intriguing to me and i i just i love this there there was a thing about nightcrawler that a way that he's been written before as not spiritual leader but like certainly somebody you can come to and you know confess stuff to or or kind of seek guidance from and rather than him being in that position here here it's like nightcrawler as as like a neophyte to beliefs he feels to me like he's at the earlier stage of of figuring something out because everything that he has figured out before is has been kind of blown away right it's all still there but he's now starting fresh so it's cool to see him kind of bewildered and trying to figure things out and a little off kilter for me this section was almost uncomfortable Mm-hmm. because I also kind of come from a Catholic background. I'm a pastor's kid, type B for sure. And like my mother was raised super, super Catholic. Her family is very conservative Catholic, Irish, Italian Catholics. And then we're Lutheran, which even though we're ELCA, which is one of the more liberal ones, we're still kind of diet Catholic is what we joke. 
And coming from that background, especially being like a pastor's kid, being a PK, like I definitely have a very strained relationship with religion. I won't get into like all the fun details, but for me, like it's just something that I don't feel very comfortable with, with other people pushing religion, because that's something that I really struggled with, was having religion pushed on me. And seeing this with Kurt, it's like... I sympathize with the people that are annoyed by him because like, don't get me wrong. I love Kurt, but this whole scene was, I really liked that people were kind of like talking back and kind of putting him in his place because I think it's very hard to sometimes for all religions, for people to say, Hey, this isn't exactly good that you're pushing this. We know where you're coming from, but maybe you can think about the consequences better because coming from such a conservative Catholic background, like you can't even say the word gay in front of my aunt without her fainting. Mm. And so coming out was a process. Um, (laughs) Let's just say that. Like, I think I've come out to my grandmother three or four times now and she still doesn't quite get it. For me, it was like, yes, this is something important because faith and religion is important to many people and can be very comforting to a lot of people. But on the other hand, people who have been hurt by religion and things that aren't quite right, I think it is good that we can have these discussions of what of of how it affects other people with with how strict things can be and I just for me this section was just very important absolutely I completely agree with that and I obviously make it no secret my love of Kurt Wagner Nightcrawler I literally have him tattooed on my body I loved the character so much from his design to his powers to everything. And this was a really refreshing, in my opinion, take on Kurt because it was nice to see someone trying to do good but having the the intentions be good, but the way going about it, not the best, and having people call him out for it. And I think it was something yeah. really needed for Kurt. He thinks he's doing good, and he's trying to help, and he's trying to be a good person, and that's great. But the, you know, the famous adage, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. He thinks he's doing good, and he is actively trying to be a good person and help, but the methods of which he's going about it aren't the best, and I don't think he realizes that yet. And I think he really needs that moment of many moments of people calling him out and many people educating him on the realities of how things work and how people actually are and want to believe and want to behave that he has to kind of like put his own beliefs and his own personal rules aside to understand that not everybody's going to follow those and that has to be okay. Totally. Where do y'all land on the situation with the babies? So I think there was a really good point that it's brought up. It's showing, I I like how they're showing Krakoa as, you know, a a grandiose place. You know, it is a a mutant paradise, but there's still things they have to work out. There's still cracks in the foundation. The, The idea of the mutant babies just being abandoned or dropped off and the parents not wanting to run them. No, specifically abandoned. Like the first one she says that she found was crying under a bush, like just like left there. And, well, they don't have fire departments. You can't yeah, leave them. Yeah, but at like the fire department anymore. Here's so here's my thing with it. Like I, this would be a lot easier for me to accept if we had seen 
any other instances of of mutants like trying to build a family, basically, for lack of a better word, right? Like Rogue is pregnant right now, or, or even just in the background, you just see like you know two mutants and a and a kid or whatever. Like if that was kind of like a thing that was happening as well, then kind of seeing this other side to it, sure, like I I kind of would accept that a little bit more. This to me just feels like it really paints Krakoa in a really bad light because I can't imagine like you're, you know, hunted and hated and feared, you know, your whole life and now you're in paradise. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are some unwanted pregnancies, but there have to be some people there that are actually like keen on it. Like, yeah, I want to raise our little children, you know? So I don't know. I mean, not to sound too, you know, heteronormative about the whole thing, but this just kind of disturbed me a little bit. Again, I'm glad Cy Spurrier's exploring disturbing things and he's making us look at some of the, the things that are broken in Krakoa, but it was weird and it, and it, it, it a weird. bit of a turnoff for sure. Yeah. I didn't really know what to think of it. I was like, Whoa, like it, it paints the mutants badly. They're all partying and just leaving their babies in the woods. Yeah. Fuck them <laughs> like, kids. What the fuck, man. Like I'm laughing about it, but I'm laughing awkwardly. Cause I don't know what yeah. to do or think about it. Like when I saw this, I was just like, I was like, Whoa, you know, like I made the joke. It happens in real life. You know, people of people leave babies places when they can't deal with it or take care of them and stuff. And, and that's, that's a terrible thing. Like when you hear stories about that, you're like, it like turns your stomach For and sure. people get all worked up about it and it's happening. Here. I mean, so I guess, I guess it makes sense that it, it, it happens here too, or, or should it make sense? Cause I thought, you know, like, you know, humans are bad. Mutants are good you know they're supposed to be better than us in a sense and and are you know like the protectors of the world and now now the galaxy you know they've expanded you know like how many how many babies are going to be on mars just sitting under rocks and trees and shit the other thing i refuse to believe about this is that there's abandoned for lack of a better word genetic material on the island and sinister hasn't corralled all these babies and started a new orphanage because oh god we know where sinister is with all babies there is precedence for that and uh (laughs) and you know not out of the kindness of his heart but certainly because of the potential, you know, X factor that can be unlocked because of mixing and matching. Again, not to go back to the eugenics of it all, but there's something different about two mutants producing a mutant child than, you know, just two schleps off the street having a kid, right? So th- there's just like, okay, there's potential here to like, we could make a whole new crop of cool characters, ultimately. I think I okay. think Sinister would be all over this. Oh, for sure, for sure. I do have a lot to say right now. <laughs> Go for it. Go off, sis. Okay. So the first thing I have is I want to just say, for those who know me, I have several foster brothers who I consider my real brothers. They are family. Yeah. And so for me, it, it I guess it does get slightly personal because like I've seen these people, like I've seen these great now men um, become really good men because of basically my parents taking them in. Their families in one case actually did abandon them. And it's, it's just, it's very difficult to see babies being abandoned. I get distressed by it, but it brings me to like the point where one, what is it about mutant society that either they think it's okay to just abandon the baby and or that they can't like go to someone and say, hey, I don't want this baby because of the stigma. And then that brings me to 
we should have abortion rights on Krakoa, where if it's an unwanted pregnancy, it's like, yeah, make more mutants, but like, you should be allowed to like, you know, make your own choice. And if you don't think you can properly raise a child, then that should be okay. Like the X-Men is supposed to be so progressive. And the fact that this just comes off as so conservative, so yucky to me is the only way I can describe it. I sound like a fifth grader, but it's just yucky. And like, it just, it makes me just go fuck Charles Xavier because like, I feel like the stigma (laughs) comes from the top and it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it definitely speaks volumes about mutant society currently on Krakoa because again, it just, it brings up like multiple issues, societal issues that need to be addressed. And sorry, Kurt, but the whole Catholicism thing of like, no contraceptive, no abortion, like that's not going to work. Like we need comprehensive sex ed. We need a place where people can be like, I don't want this pregnancy. So it should be okay that I do terminate it because it's better than just a fucking abandoning a kid. Like I'm not going to get on a whole rant about like pro-choice versus anti-abortion, but that comes so much into play right here. And it's just what the fuck. And I don't want to call out the writers, but I mean, fuck the writers in this case, because to me it kind of comes off that they are just saying it's just like oh the mutants they just want to party and if they have a kid they'll abandon it and while i'm hopeful that this is a societal problem that will be addressed in the future it partially comes off to just being like these kids just like having fun and abandoning their babies because it just comes off as very misogynistic in some ways and again i like i love all these writers and i think they do a fantastic job but it just it really comes off really shit to me and that is my rant no 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 that makes a lot of sense actually and like just looking at it i think the writer's intent was to show part of what you're calling for you know like uh like actual comprehensive like reproductive rights on krakoa i i I know a lot of people have made comments about the one of the one of the laws being make more mutants being anti-reproductive rights we're seeing the results of the societal poll where they are maybe not forcing people to have babies but they are the society pressure is forcing people to have babies that are it's unwanted. the first law yeah like, yeah it's right Jesus there fucking christ xavier <laughs> you could like i mean fucking charles xavier like even your own like child children whatever are like totally fucked and you're like make more mutants <laughs> like fuck you ah it, it's such a I, I love that they're bringing it up and they're they're letting us have these conversations about this but my god just that first law it's so and not only is that first law make more mutants anti-reproductive rights it's a very like has been mentioned earlier in this issue very heteronormative just very icky kind of yeah and like you get this like total heteronormative bullshit while also trying to be like x-men are gay pride (laughs) and it's like um you're going for two different lanes here and they're about to like crash yeah i will crash it crash the system sorry burn it all down crash the system i see why s Time. This begs the question, and this is not to, not to, uh, there was very beautiful points that you made, Evelyn, and I don't <laughs> want to make light of anything, but it also begs the question, was Kurt fucking Amanda without condoms? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, okay. So, yeah. like, she's not, she, she's not his real sister. She's only his... <laughs> 
Oh no, I, I am I am on the side of they are this it is the best worst case scenario of that situation because they are adoptive siblings that didn't really grow up together. Right. So like and Kurt also forgot about his entire backstory of right? growing up and adopting siblings when they were fucking until that one birthday where Margali summoned him and was like, You're actually my adoptive son. I just I literally just imagine Nathan opening his briefcase to like begin, <laughs> begin the defense of Amanda Sefton and Kurt Wagner. Well okay. So like it, like love the character separately. Yeah, no, that, that relationship has run its course and I cannot defend the relationship as it was presented to us when we were kids or you know whatever whenever you started reading but yeah i can't defend the relationship i still love the characters but (laughs) one good thing in all this baby mess lost has a job and lost (gasps) is living her best life and i am obsessed with lost one what was once lost is now found no one tell nanny about this place oh my god (laughs) see i disagree nanny should 100 percent be here like nanny doesn't hurt the babies nanny's great with babies she loves the babies and she's got a whole suit for nurturing too like hello Mm -hmm. yeah that's true where the fuck is she probably doesn't even know about this place not yet let's see some nanny in there because again again like i want more mutants to know about the place like make it public like one like not to like shame the people abandoning their babies but like kind of to shame them for abandoning their babies even though there is like the whole societal thing that I just talked about but (laughs) but also like by making this an aware issue that's the only way that you can really do change is by making the issue out in front but also like other mutants that are pretty maternal and paternal who do like children and kind of like want someone they can take care of that would be a really great option too and also when she says like adoption isn't a thing on Krakoa it's like what about people who can't have children like the gays that you keep pandering to Mm -hmm. and those of us who are infertile like me and it's like I want to adopt because I still want a child even though I can't have any and it's like what the hell are you doing Krakoa and again I can't help but like kind of yell at the majority male writers here also, what are they going to do? Like, there's a baby just in the forest. They're going to say, you have to leave it. You can't take it and raise it. Who's going to stop them? <laughs> has anyone fucking read? Oh, my God. Um, Who's the guy that fucks his mom? Oedipus. Oedipus, yeah. Okay, okay. okay. Oedipus on Krakoa. Like, you abandon a child in the woods and he's going to come back and kill you. That's like every Greek myth. Do they not know, like, the Greek myths? And it's not just the Greeks, it's the Romans. Like, there's several in, like, Africa about it. There's a lot of Chinese ones. Mistakes are made and consequences will happen. Where's the the Oedipus Rex trilogy of the mutant kind? Oh Oh my god. god. <laughs> that, wait, so that's the that's the Madeline Pryor and Nate Gray story. Is that what we're talking about? Oh my, yeah, I mean, maybe. Oh my god! Well, then you need some, but then you need to have Nate Gray go blind and have uh, a daughter who's like the best character named Antigone, and you need to also have Nate have two sons who are misogynistic and fuck all and just try to fight each other. And Antigone has to be the one to take care of her blind father. The Oedipus Rex trilogy is so misogynistic; it's so bad. <laughs> Don't oh, read it. <laughs> We were forced to read it in English class, and I just remember Same. being angry the whole time. Same. 
Oh my god. Has, <laughs> he has fucks his mom. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like no one was like oh, he kind of looks like me a little bit and like my husband that he just killed oh uh, no it's fine <laughs> has anyone thought of the possibility and this is me just trying to think that there's got to be like rhyme for the reason right uh if what if what if krakoa is growing babies whoa because it can it can grow anything anything they want it grows there's fucking donut trees there's you know coffee coffee plants that 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 they don't you know uh there's pizza plants there's bagel plants there's all this stuff that like i think krakoa would definitely tell oh my god black tom doug Doug. black tom doug yeah the yeah yeah, like well, Doug's Krakoa busy. Definitely Doug's busy. Doug. So Doug's Doug's not talking to Krakoa as much these days. Doug's busy making more yeah, babies. Doug, Doug is Doug's Doug busy. Is... Get, no, Doug is busy getting. Yeah. Let's no, yeah, it. you're right. Doug is getting paid. That's totally his vibe. One is in what is called a fuck fog. Yeah, so his ears are ringing constantly. Yeah. You can't hear Krakoa. But Krakoa has ways of talking to him, and he would not like Krakoa would definitely possess someone again and just walking on them having sex and she's like you guys continue i just need to talk to doug like i was <laughs> <watching. laughs> just a casual uh, conversation while uh bay is inside of doug and doug's like yeah what's up like, I love oh my god babies in the woods for you guys <laughs> yeah. go hey bay i know you're busy pegging doug with warlock but hey doug you know yeah, you know, we talked about voyeurism before. I'm pretty sure uh, Warlock is super into it. Yeah. Super yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. Self friend is sweaty. <laughs> Self friend feels weird and uh, downstairs. Uh, Doug friend, what does this mean for self friend? Uh, oh my god. Uh, so before we we talk about the the big, well, no, let's talk about the big reveal of the psychic parasite real quick. So. That was interesting, right? With Loa and Mercury, how Legion is able to suss out this uh, psychic parasite. Where were you? What were you guys thinking when that happened? I thought it was kind of cool. I I really dug that we finally see like onslaught for onslaught. Like, right. Uh, I love that 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 final page, and then we know, right? Like the title's changing, or there's going to be like a another mini series. Like it was yeah, flipping to another mini series, which they yeah, were describing so I, as season two of Way of X, and I love that description. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I bet you're super salty about that, too, because you're like, where's my season two of X-Men? See, I'm not mad about it, because with my experience working in a comic shop, you always get these people that they they really genuinely want to start reading comics, but then they see, like, Wonder Woman is at, like, 353, or sorry, 753, and Detective Comics is, like, over a thousand, and people get really, really intimidated by that. And so by having it, the story arcs renumbered, while I personally would love to have just go to 100, go to 200, give it all. Yeah, I feel like this is a way Marvel is trying to like kind of get new readers to continue. Reading. For sure. And nothing sells better than, you know, number ones, right? Number but one, then it's yeah. a, it's problematic for us, the people that are reading all of it, because then you're like, oh, X-Men number one. Okay, which one? You know, like which X-Men number one are you talking about? Not to mention that's one of the things that led to the crash of 93. Oh, yeah. No, 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 absolutely. So it makes me nervous. Yeah. My favorite part. Oh, uh, to, to bring a, a parallel to uh, another, you know, very popular fran- franchises. 
I know it's why a lot of people who are into anime might not get into like the big shonen ones because you look at One Piece that's on like a thousand episodes. You look at Naruto, it's on like three different seasons that all have like almost five hundred episodes. Not really, but like it, you look you look at like Fairy Tale and that has like over like four hundred episodes, and you're like, why? It feels it's very intimidating to try to want to start this because you're like, well, I'm never going to catch up. So I do get that, but like it, that brings that does breed its own problems. My favorite part of the psychic stuff was the Zorn brothers and Pixie being like why are the Zorn brothers here and David's yeah. like they're just with, they're with me uh I love Zorn <laughs> so this makes me happy because like in like way of x they've just been like around in like the like back of uh, like panels of like you could like kind of see them floating there and like I'm really happy that they're just really there now yeah that was one of the first times we've seen them in a long time if, if ever right since the reboot like I don't remember really seeing them ever been in the background but i don't really yeah they they haven't been as 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 forefront of the background as they are now it's like dazzler syndrome man like why are they hiding all these great characters from us so we're at least finally at least we're getting these like one panel snippets of dazzler now but even then it's like one freak well okay nope this issue we get the scene at the end too (laughs) i was like well speaking of dazzler syndrome (laughs) what a great way to segue to that last little like what i can only describe as the sitcom wrap-up up of the episode yes. where they're all sitting at the bar and like you know just talking about what happened one uh, stan stacy x for standing dazzler but then go ahead sorry shout out to legion for getting the biggest most ridiculous drink possible yes <laughs> yeah wait so this is like the next day right and they're still in their gala gear well yeah yeah, yeah Nightcrawler's whole adventure has been since he like woke up in the corner where he passed out right <laughs> and he's like literally just stumbled through the issue like he stumbled through the, the evening of the gala like just kind of like telling everybody what they don't want to hear and he's like but i'm not uh, now i'm hungover and he's and then he's i love how it ends with him with another drink i like that a lot i like how he's i like how he's like like oh fuck it hey where's the gin hey that's the that's the, the solution right the hair of the dog that bit you yeah yeah well it's it's also just the solution for everything i mean alcohol cures all problems i don't it's, if you have a wound you we, pour it on we it cannot if you have a wound you drink it it's fine <laughs> we do not support alcoholism in any fashion way or form if you feel please like you drink have a problem, responsibly please drink responsibly reach out to help find your local aa chapter please please reproduce um, responsibly Please reproduce responsibly. Do not drop um, your babies off in the forest. Please yeah, leave them. No. Leave them in a fire station like a classy individual. <laughs> Do not no. Why? Why a fire station? Just bring it straight to the source. <laughs> I uh, very 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 side tangent. It makes me think of uh, Phineas and Ferb, where one of the characters, Doctor Doofenshmirtz, is parent. His own parents didn't show up for his birth. Wait, Nathan, I gotta ask you: Are you yep. terrified or hopeful that this little dance between Dazzler and Doctor Nemesis leads oh, to God. anything? Oh God! Well, <laughs> you know what? It's better than her and fucking Longshot. So sure, whatever. If she shows up more because she's fucking Doctor Nemesis, wait, 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 wait! Everybody, stop! Hold the phone. You are anti Dazzler and Longshot. I am anti Longshot and Dazzler. Yes, because now it's not Longshot's fault. But she got shipped off to fucking Mojo World for like ten years and never seen, except for like maybe like three issues. Right. So. Oh, so you're just mad about that, like as like collateral damage to the character? Yeah, probably more of that. Like Longshot, because, like, like such and... a cute couple. To me, like Longshot and Dazzler were kind of 
you know, like a Scott and Jean or, or back then, like, like I would have said like Lorna and, and Alex, like I thought that they were kind of destined to be together. Like, so, all right. So the, the real, the real, the real disdain for it comes from the way, you know, like they were just kind of pushed together. Dazzler was like, oh, hey, you're cute. And then he's like, what the, like, what the fuck is sex? He's like, he's like, what, what is all this stuff on earth? And like, then bam, like next time you see him, they're like married, you know, kind of thing. So it was just, it was kind okay. of pushed. Well, if we're going to say that <laughs> Dazzler has canonically had a lot of issues with falling a little too fast in love oh God, yeah. with male characters which is not her fault that is the male writer's fault it is that shouldn't have never have happened to begin <laughs> yeah that's we're making bad decisions and questionable decisions oh God, yeah. having bad taste and yeah yeah but uh in the original yeah. dazzler run she had in 20 issues at least i want to say five different love interests yeah, there was like Ken the lawyer and like some other random guy and like, like Ken, Ken, Ken Angel the lawyer, was, was after another, her. There was Angel. There was Quasar. There yes. was um. There was another guy too. They, they like almost they tried to make it a will they won't they between I think like her band manager like her, yeah like not the manager not, not Harry but yeah yeah the yeah whoever was like moved her band's equipment. Oh yeah. <laughs> And, and, and Rogue was a little like a little like into Dazzler in that way in that series too. So, like, yeah. Oh yes, R- Rogue was like literally obsessed lesbianically with yeah. Dazzler. Yeah, I love this. Ooh. I love this cast, you guys. Like at those last two pages, yeah. you're kind of seeing like our cast is rounding out, you know. And this is a great little little crew. It is. I love this. I hope we. I hope we get to see more of Fred Duke in these pages because, like, we need some soft Fred running his bar. But, like, yes, please. This is a great cast. It's. It's not the group that I would have thought. You know. Oh, there's a way of X book. Like, there were I think more obvious solutions for like different faiths and different beliefs or whatever that might come together with Kurt. And this is kind of. This is like all over the place, you know. But it. Each of these characters does play with you know belief in some to some degree 